0: Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of masculinity happening around the world today. My guest this week is a husband, father, podcast host, and the leader of the Manifesto Men's Work community, Paul Robson.
1: This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, Men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the renaissance of men. You are the Renaissance. One of
0: the things you may have noticed over the past decade or so is that Americans and Europeans don't really like each other very much. Of course, some of us Americans may have European friends and vice versa. But while the stormy and turbulent Atlantic Ocean separates our continents physically, that can often feel like a good metaphor for the cultural divide as well. There are many reasons for this too many to list in this podcast, and not all of which are related to politics. I will try to summarize it and say, our views of reality are fundamentally different, and I'm not sure that even captures it. What I think is jarring about this to most people is that, at least on the surface, Europeans and Americans should be getting along. After all, the ancestors of most Americans come from Europe, right? I know in my case, I'm 150 or so years removed from my own ancestors immigrating from Russia Poland, and Germany. That isn't a long time generally, but it's been a pretty eventful 150 years. Probably the most eventful ever. So while it makes sense to simply look at places like China or Zimbabwe and understand that our cultures are different because they grew in response to different conditions, it takes a bit of mental unpacking to understand that the same is true for America and the countries in Europe, despite visual and ancestral similarities. Funny thing though, I traveled to China in 2018. I backpacked alone through the country for about six weeks, and I discovered something. America and China actually have tons in common with each other. No, really, you just have to look beneath the surface. Americans and mainland Chinese people are warm, welcoming, and friendly, despite our militaristic governments. Americans and Chinese people have uneasy relationships with their governments, too. And both nations suffer from serious amnesia. For who we were prior to the mid-20th century. Can you see the parallels yet? Because there are many more. But this isn't a podcast about China. I'll save that for another time. It is a podcast about Europe, however, and I provide that example to help illustrate that when you have two different countries or regions of the world that look very different, it helps to look deeper to see if maybe there's more going on beneath the surface. So, back to Europe and to our polite cultural enmity. Is it possible that there's more going on beneath the surface of those differences as well? Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Paul Robeson, and he's the co-founder and leader of the European men's work organization Manifesto, with a PH instead of an F. Manifesto has a podcast, a mastermind program, coaching, and a gathering called Death of the Patriarchs, which isn't quite what you might think. Manifesto has hosted Jonathan Peugeot in its programs and podcasts, among many others. Paul was very gracious to host me on his podcast twice. He and his men asked excellent questions and challenged me, which I like, and both times I found my distinct American upfrontness rising to the surface instinctively, which he and the men were gracious and tolerating. My manners alone dictated that I should repay the favor, but I also began to sense that there were other topics for Paul and I to discuss related to the different approach that his organization takes towards working with men versus the way an organization in America might. Because in a conversation with Father Michael Butler, who's attended and helped facilitate manifesto events and spoken very highly of them, he said something interesting. He said that while many American men suffering from father hunger are used to fathers being verbally loud and physically abusive, European men don't suffer from quite the same problem. And European men, he said, their traumas are much quieter. Rather than being volatile, European fathers are more likely to say, very matter-of-factly to their sons, things like, I wish I never had you, I do not think you will amount to anything. Forgive me for a moment, but I need to use some colorful language to make a point. Whether an American father says, you're a useless piece of shit and I wish you were never born, or a European father says, I wish I never had you, I do not think you will amount to anything, the end result in the boy will be the same. The difference is in how that pain is expressed. And after speaking to Paul in this conversation, I've come to realize that American and European men aren't so different from each other after all. Because underneath American men's bluster, you can and will often find a sensitive and tender heart, longing to find healthy expression. And underneath European men's reserved and thoughtful nature, you'll often find untapped and unexpressed passion, and the heart of a lion, looking for the same. We are mirror images of each other. American men externalize what is internal to Europeans. European men externalize what is internal to Americans. You will hear that dynamic in this episode. And this dynamic, I believe, is the source of our mutual distrust across the continents. We see in each other what we have denied in ourselves. We are suspicious of it. But the truth is, now more than ever, we need it. And we need to learn from it. And that goes both ways. In our conversation, Paul and I discussed his story from Burning Man and New Age practices to Jordan Peterson and Christianity, mastering your attention, the difference between efficiency and happiness, the modern separation between the head and the body, the path of the monk versus the path of marriage, the core of reality being driven by story, and finally, how the story of Christ is the cosmic story for all. I'm grateful for this conversation and to Paul for many reasons. But one of them is that it proves that different men have so much to teach each other, as long as we're willing to learn. And that's not to say that either one of us learned any more than the other. It doesn't have to be like that. Because, as I think you'll hear, through the art of speaking and listening, we as men can find the healing, transformative, and mutually binding truths we're searching for. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. If you're listening to the audio, you can watch a video version of this episode on YouTube, as well as check out clips from this show and others. The link is in the show notes. And as is proper for YouTube, if you head over there, don't forget to smash that like button and subscribe. Also, for those keeping score with our community effort to bring this podcast rating back up on Spotify after my recent review bombing, The Renaissance of Men is now at 147 reviews and a 4.7 rating. That's up from 70 reviews and a 4.4 rating just a couple weeks ago. Thank you all so much for your contributions to this effort. And if you haven't yet done so, please leave a five-star review to help bring the show even further up. Because I checked over on Apple and there I'm at 61 reviews and a 4.8 rating. And I'd like to read a recent review from this past Monday. J Brew 82 writes, quote, This is an excellent podcast that covers many topics in the quote, manosphere, but with a Christian base to it. Fantastic work, interesting guests, wide range of topics, What interests me most is that it's not the typical weak, passive, meek aspect of Christians that many of us are brought up and introduced with. It is far past time for strong, ethical men, God-fearing or not, to stand up, unite, and have a strong presence in society worldwide. Thank you for this show. Reading words like that means the world to me. That captures everything I hope to accomplish. Thank you, JBrew82. So for those of you listening on Apple, if you'd like to participate in helping this podcast reach more men and women, please leave a rating and review. I read every review when they come in, and I'm grateful for the time that you invest to write them. And whether you're on Apple or Spotify, your ratings and reviews go a long way, especially for me. And one final announcement. This show is now booked up into November. I have so many exciting guests that have become available, I can't keep track of them all. Next week, as I approach the two-year anniversary of this podcast, I'll make a special announcement about who to expect. I'm working hard to make this next year even better than the last two. Thanks for coming along. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, the co-founder and leader of Manifesto, plus my brother in Christ teacher and friend, Paul Robeson. Paul from Manifesto, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast.
2: It's an honor to be here.
0: (laughs) Uh, You've had me on your podcast a couple times, and uh, I've really enjoyed both of those conversations, and uh, you've been very gracious by giving me uh, time to speak and get very passionate about the subjects that I get fired up about. And in that, I've recognized that I have so many questions about you and your background and what you do at Manifesto, of course. You know I've seen your content on um, on Instagram, and I've, I know some of the men's work stuff that you're involved in in europe and and it's it's sort of the sort of thing that um, I'm very familiar with, but I know that lots of men in America aren't. and so I've been excited to have this conversation because the work that you do is this whole side of the men's movement, um, which is where I come from essentially with the mankind project and stuff, this inner work kind of stuff that um, a lot of men don't know about. I know it's something you're very versed in and, are, and participate in a lot. so I'm excited to share some of your background and your experiences with the listeners of the podcast.
2: Thanks. Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, it's super interesting to see the differences between a European approach to this kind of work and uh, an American approach. Um, I, uh, you know, sitting here, I live in Denmark. I've been here for the last 20 years. I'm actually born and grew up in South Africa. So I'm also a part of the new world, Mm. which I kind of see the United States as being as well. Um, but, but I've really kind of immersed myself for a long time, actually saw myself, like try to become Danish as much as possible.
0: Is that even possible?
2: And, um, it's, it's not really possible here. Like, but, but I, I did pretty well. Like people would talk to me for two hours and they'd be like, is there something about your accent? Like you're not completely Danish. <laughs> um, and, and I would say like, yeah, I'm actually bored elsewhere. But in the, in the beginning, I refused to tell people where I was from with it. When they ask me where i was from, I tell them the suburb of Copenhagen that I lived in, and they say, "No, no, before that." And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, then I told them the suburb I lived in before that as
3: well. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so I, I try to really kind of like naturalize myself, but more and more I'm realizing that like it, it's interesting having a kind of meta perspective on, on these different things as well, um, and and certainly ha- talking to guys who are working in the men's movements in the United States uh, gives a lot of value um, about understanding this thing of masculinity, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, so so. Yeah. Yeah. At least good to have discussions about right now.
0: I agree. I agree. Um, so maybe we'll start with uh, how did you find your way into the men's movement and start doing inner work? Because we all have our experiences with that. Like I discovered the Mankind Project in, I think it would have been 2011 or 2012 in the States. Someone posted on Facebook, one of my acquaintances posted on Facebook, Today I begin my new warrior training adventure. I was like on a Friday. And I was like, New warrior training adventure that sounds like something I do. And then, so I I made a note of it and I think I finally ended up doing it in 2013. And that was how I found my way into the men's movement as a whole was through that door. How did you discover, how did you discover this, this whole world and sort of what's your background that led you up to that?
2: Yeah. So, so the background started really with, uh, I grew up in a good, solid, fairly conservative family uh, in South Africa. uh, And Got. I would. I would say. I normally say like I got a really good operating system from my parents. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of got solid, good values and a good work ethic, discipline. Uh, I did well in school. Uh, I went to Europe to go and like you know find my fortune when I was eighteen. So I wanted to go out there. But I've I've always done well in everything that I that I did and been able to reach my goals. I probably had a bit of a, a boyish narcissism in that. In that like you know it was all about me and getting stuff for myself and. Achieving you know, like career, status, money, uh, wife, house, all those kinds of mm-hmm. things. and so, so And, and I think are. in some ways that's a really good thing for a young man yeah. uh, to, to be focused on those things and to, and to be getting them, so it's not, not really a problem. Um, but what happened is that I, I, I also I, I, at the sort of age of 21, I, I met a Danish woman, moved to Denmark uh, and got married here, and kind of settled down for my life, studied at university, got a good job, worked for Microsoft. Uh, and achieved all of the goals that I thought like would this is what would make me happy, right? Mm. I, I I could like tick all of those boxes. I was earning more money than what I could use, and we had a beautiful big apartment in the middle of Copenhagen, uh, the exact dream place that we dreamt of getting. Um, and there was something that just wasn't right. <laughs> uh, and and the place where it started showing up the most clearly was in my relationship with my wife, um, and, mm. and when our son was born. Uh, he's now sixteen years old. So this is sixteen years ago. I had no ago. idea you had a kid. Uh, I, ha- I have two kids and one, a third one on the way. I had no <laughs> idea. <laughs> Wait, can I
0: ask how old are you?
2: So uh, I'm forty-one.
0: Oh, okay. Wow. Okay, you're older than I thought you were.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, most people tell me that. Yeah, I do look a bit younger
0: than I. Yeah, I thought you were like so. So I'm like twenty-three. My
2: is sixteen. He's just started gymnasium. Oh wow. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. So yeah, uh, when, when he was born, then the cracks really started showing in my relationship
4: with,
3: mm.
2: with my ex-wife.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh,
2: and I say ex-wife, because yeah, that, that lasted till he was one and a half years old uh, and our relationship broke. Mm. We, we didn't have anything to base our relationship on than two people trying to get their needs met with each other or something like that. I've sure. realized that that just doesn't work for, uh, for a, 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 that kind of relationship. Um, and and, I, and so I guess that kind of like threw me out on a little bit of a spiritual search, mm. um, and I did I felt great about it at the time. I was like, wow, yeah, I get to have like my second life, and I had a lot of money, and I was well settled, and uh, and all that kind of stuff, right? So I could I with my work I could go living in Thailand for three months, rock climbing every single day, and go do some emails and attend a video conference, and then send a big bill to one of my clients, <laughs> and uh, and and live that good life. And so um, I was doing a lot of rock climbing. I started getting into yoga as a kind of like injury prevention training for my, for my rock climbing and yoga kind of opened up the world to all kinds of spirituality for me as Mm -hmm. well. So some of the things that I'd really kind of pushed away from looking at and not considering, uh, really came to the fore. And a lot of it was just like total bullshit and I had a hard time taking it seriously. Um, but there were some things that kind of struck me in different ways. Um, We'll see if we get more into that or not. I think right now I'll just say, you know, like I, I tried out a lot of different stuff and what I found to be by far the most valuable that was having conversations, like deep conversations about life and existence with other men. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was far more powerful, far more moving, far more uh, insightful to do it with men than in mixed gender environments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the obvious reason for that was probably because I was a single young guy who was pretty, you know, <laughs> had a high sex drive or you know pretty horny and was attracted to a lot of women and uh, and and so like that that kind of that play or got into all of these kind of environments and, and influenced things like that. um and so so when I when I went to uh a men's work retreat my first introduction to it was a guy called Eli Bjorn who came to Denmark uh, this is back in 2015 I think um, and I did a men 's work retreat there with a couple of my best friend at the time uh, his, uh, he 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 was the one who kind of brought me into it um, and it was a very powerful experience and And we wrestled with these guys, but we also had like deep conversations, and we realized how similar we were, and <laughs> um, we were kind of fighting with a lot of the same stuff um, and and how 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 much we got out of just spending that quality time together and and like building brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, up to that point I men were mainly like you know I kind of like confided with women and competed with guys you know and and it wasn't like I was just like I was I was it was playful competing mm-hmm. it was friendly competing but like you know I we kind of competed with each other most mm-hmm. of the time and I went to a boys only school when I was growing up as well so you know I, I had good relationships with guys but I wasn't really I didn't have intimacy with men and so what I found is that you can have like emotional and intellectual intimacy especially the intellectual intimacy was a new thing for me where you really kind of open up your mind together with another man and, and really speak your heart. Mm-hmm. And, and that gives something uh, very, very powerful. So at that time, I had uh, a very good friend uh, who was a actually a philosopher in Sweden, uh, as well as being the, a judge on the Swedish X Factor <laughs> program or pop idol program, okay. interestingly enough. He's like the guy who's like really rude and ag- abrasive to the really bad artists that come in there. He's a philosopher? Um, and he's a philosopher at the same time as this well, Swedish, yeah. a very well-known.
0: Does the Swedish X Factor, is that like they get up and philosophize on a microphone for like 60 seconds?
2: <laughs> well, he, he was also a very well-known pop musician uh, before he was a philosopher. What? Uh, he, he, there's, a, there's a band called Army of Lovers that had like a number one hit uh, in, in, in like the 89 or something like okay, that. So he, he was the producer and main singer of this band, Army of
0: Lovers. All right, That's going to be linked in the show notes.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm crucified. That was the song.
0: Uh,
2: it's a hell of a guy. name. It's, it's quite heretical. Yeah, so something pop like pop music being heretical. Um, no
0: way. <laughs>
2: yeah. Apropos, we have a we have a shared friend called Evan who made a a video called Pop Is Porn and like don't watch that video if you want to see pop in the same way again as you did before. Oh. Uh, it's a great video, but like it changes the way you hear pop. I
0: think, oh, yeah. Which oh.
2: probably might be a good thing for sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, so. So uh, the story continues is that me, this guy, Alexander, and then we had a third friend. uh, He was a professional dancer. Uh, We decided to put together uh, what we called a men's research weekend where we just invited other men in our network to come together for a weekend where we, I rented a venue. I I kind of did the organizational stuff. Uh, I'm educated as a political scientist, but I can like, I'm like this do everything guy, jack of all trades kind of person. Mm Uh, so I rented a venue and, and organized all the food and all that kind of stuff. And then we we rented a venue and we didn't have an agenda of what we are going to do. So the only thing as we planned was uh, we were going to investigate what does it mean to be a man in society today and how do we take responsibility as men. That was also something that was that was like an assumption from the beginning. And that was probably one of the most powerful experiences of my hmm. life that weekend. It was it was beautiful and amazing and very moving. Just the three so of did you. It a couple, no we invited about we invited about 35 guys from our network uh, or the 35 guys came we had 30, space for 35 mm-hmm. um so so we ha- were a big group of guys yeah. um and it was the guys we only invited guys that we really thought had something to contribute to the conversation like that we thought were interesting and pe- men who inspired us and who, who we felt could lift us up and and teach us something mm-hmm. um yeah so we did that a couple of times and then Based on that, I put together a manifest, which was a text that kind of summarized most of our conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I read it today, it's a little bit fluffy, but it, it still has some really good stuff in there—some uh, very foundational, good, strong stuff. Um, I, I think we can—we're we, doing better today. But we put that out online, and there was just a whole lot of people who responded and said, "Hey, like this is great, and can we come and meet you guys?" And da 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 da. So back in 2017, then. I booked another venue, uh, where we could have a lot more people, uh, and we organized the first Nordic men's gathering. And we had 140 guys coming there from 35 different countries, um, uh, from all over Europe, but we also had Australians and Canadians and Americans, all kinds of stuff, French, German, Baltic States, uh, Poland, all over the place. So, and that was just like mind blowing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and, and I also started realizing at that time how ill prepared I was for that kind of work and for what I'd actually set out to do. But, but from there, it kind of grew. And then it, became, it went from being like a hobby to being a, a full-time thing. So today I'm working full-time on Manifesto, named after that initial manifest. Um, and the big thing that's happened recently is that me and the pop star judge guy have parted ways. Mm-hmm. So we're not working.
0: Mm-hmm. May I, um, I, I would like to ask, but if I don't, if I can't ask why or what happened there, just out of curiosity, you could say, I declined to answer the question.
2: So we met um, at Burning Man.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, like the so, American Burning Man?
2: <laughs> uh, we met at the, no, the first time we met was at the Scandinavian, uh, the, the Nordic burn burn called Borderland. Got it. Uh, yeah. Uh, probably in 2014, something like that. But yeah, we, we met at the Scandinavian I burn. I see and then see where this is going. Then the, the dancer guy we met over, I, I met him first time at the, at the American burn. Mm-hmm.
0: When did you go to the American yeah. Burn? Because that just wrapped up. We're recording on Tuesday, and that just wrapped up. American Burning Man wrapped up a couple of days ago. And like my, okay. embrace yourself. So I've, been, I've been the
2: regional people. contact for. I've been the regional contact for Burning Man in Denmark uh, for about seven years or something like that. Oh, right. Um, so at the time that my marriage was going to pieces, yeah. uh, I the, the same guy who brought me to the Eli Buren uh, retreat, the, the men's work retreat. He was also very involved in the Burning Man community. He had been living in san francisco uh for for a very long time and um and had kind of brought that whole culture back mm-hmm. to to denmark so him and me and a group of swedes we started the the burning man cult, uh, burning man festival in denmark the borderland we were like 30 people the first time and now this year they've just bought their own land now they're so six and a half thousand people
0: six and a half thousand people permanent
2: land wow yeah, so. Really but it's actually small compared to you know some of the other places. I've also been to Africa Burn down in South Africa. There's I think they I don't know, they're on twenty, thirty thousand there. Wow. It's a big global phenomenon. There's 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 hundreds of burns around the world actually, all over the place happening. You, know, you can almost be at a burn every single day of the year mm. throughout the year. I think you can now. I think you can be at a burn every single day of the year.
3: Mm.
2: So it's a it's a big, 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 big phenomenon and very interesting.
0: It's concerning, and a,
2: and a big part of my journey. Not, I, I don't go to Burns at all anymore. Yeah. I'm not involved in the community at all anymore. Um, but it, it brought me out of the flat desolation of secular culture.
0: Mm-hmm. Gosh, there's so many different threads to threads to pull on because uh, I can see the big shift. I can see the big shift that would, would have happened in your life because it's sort of what happened to me in a way. Like you, you come in into uh, you come from a, a, a a world where you're confiding with women and competing with guys was what you said to discovering real male intimacy. But if you keep walking, but that usually takes place in kind of like a new age hippie kind of context where a lot of these practices are generally like where they're cultivated. Right. But what happened for me is I kept walking that path and I found that that world has some very hard boundaries about like, about beliefs that you're not supposed to let go of. Like it's still very feminized. And, and there's a, there's a land beyond that and breaking out of that land into the world where it's like, no, you're actually like confiding with guys and you realize that men and women, like there's the competition aspect, everything flips around. And then, you know, Christianity is on the other side of that road. And I can understand how that would have been a pretty major shift in your life as it was in mine to leave that kind of world where it's like, we're used to existing in this feminized context. But when you take a step forward into actual masculinity, then, you know, a lot of things break off at that point.
2: And I think for a lot of people, and this is very much the case for me, Jordan Peterson was that bridge figure. Oh, interesting. So right at the time when we were organizing that Nordic men's gathering, uh, as, as I was kind of like, you know, booking the venue, then that was when I first saw, started watching Jordan Peterson. Um, and, and that was just around the time where B, B, C, Bill C-16 was being debated uh, and he was, all those protests were happening. And so that's when he kind of like, and the, I remember the very first time I, I saw him was very clear. Like I kind of had this feeling like, ah, oh, this guy's a little bit angry. <laughs> and then I carried on listening. And it's was like, oh, but that was a really good point mm-hmm. he just made there. And then it's like, ping. And then another really good point. And so there was these little experiences of the world, just snapping a little bit more and more into place every single time mm-hmm. uh, that he said, that, that he said stuff. And like it, it was, he was formulating the stuff that I already thought, but wasn't able to To formulate as clearly, and he was speaking my language as well. You know, I'm I'm a scientist. I'm a political scientist. I'm schooled in kind of like you know um, the kind of scientific uh, university, and and so that that's my that's the way I I see the world. And and he so he spoke exactly my language, but he he pointed at something that made sense and that was higher as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, he he spoke to. What's so funny about Jordan Peterson is that he at the time was just saying things that um, this is like 2017, which is when he started, you know, 2016, 2017, I think is when his first, is when his first album was. Um, that was like when he was just saying things that, that everyone kind of knew, but that everyone was kind of afraid to say. And that was like common sense in a lot of ways, obviously not his Bible stuff. Like once you start digging into his, his back catalog, you know, as his, his, his indie hits, um, you know, you discover that this is a, a man is a brilliant thinker, but he was the guy at the right time. That stood up to the right thing in the right way, and and it was like, oh, a guy's actually like doing it on the world stage. This was my perspective because I had I had discovered so many things um, when my my perspective had begun to shift around men and masculinity out of this kind of feminized world. I think in um, in like 2016, when I was traveling, like I I went overseas, I left from uh, the United States and I went down to South America, and in, in Latin America, particularly in Colombia, where I spent a lot of time. They have very different ideas about gender, about sex roles, and than we do in America. Like, there's no notion of like, oh no, men and women are the same. It's like, no, we're different, and it's and it's awesome, and quit being a pussy. You know, that was kind of how it is down there because those are expect, their expectations. And I realized I had carried all these ideas about how men were supposed to be that was absolutely not shared around the world, and that started a lot of processes. And so that sort of started this process of me stepping into myself and speaking out a bit more. And then Jordan Peterson showed up about a year later. And, uh, and it was like, oh, the guy's like doing the thing, but I've heard so many stories of, of, uh, people like yours where it's like Jordan Peterson was like, wait, what is this guy saying? Like, I don't want to listen to him, but I can't stop listening to him. How powerful a figure that must've been for you.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Right. yeah, it was, it was really good. I mean, the, the, there was one thing that really, I, I would say was life-changing for me. I mean, part of it was definitely his, his view on, on relationships with women. Mm. Uh, and him talking about marriage as a a, a a a mutual agreement you enter into where you bind yourself together very powerfully with one other person
3: mm-hmm.
2: as a way of growing spiritually. And if you give yourself a back door, you will use that back door because at some point you will be confronted with the part of yourself that you hate or unable to face. like physically, actually, you know, spiritually not able to face. And so do you say like, oh yeah, I want to become a better person. I want to grow, but actually when we're confronted with those things, we don't do it, right? Then we run away. And so the whole idea is like, no, you, you actually force yourself to stay. And that, that started me realizing like, oh, actually, you know, breaking up with my wife, you know, all those years before, I, I was just carrying the same issues with me all the time. Mm-hmm. that you know, the childishness, the, the boyish stuff, the, the lack of taking responsibility. And, 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 and I hadn't solved anything. I hadn't moved in, mm. moved anywhere in my life. Actually I was just running around having a whole lot of experiences, but nothing was actually happening. And so I came to that realization, like, wow, well, okay, well that time my wife was remarried, my, my ex-wife was remarried and had, had kids with an, a new guy. I was like, okay, I would have actually gone back to her mm. at that time and said like, Hey, we, we're going to be together, but now it's too late. But then I started realizing, well, okay, I've got to, I've got to really rebuild. And then the second thing that Jordan Peterson said that that really made sense was he he, he spoke about the Bible, mm. and he and he said you know like this book is over two thousand years old. Some of the stories in it are more than ten thousand years mm. old. This it's been the foundation of our civilization for <laughs> its very beginning, and it's older than any any human civilizations. These stories you know like the the story of Cain and Abel, the, the creation myth. All of these things are are they're so fundamental so. You can't just write them off as silly fairy tales that stupid people who didn't understand better than you did in, in the past kind of believed in. That, that, that you just can't. You have to contend with these stories at their own level. You have to understand, put yourself in the mindset of the people who they were intended for. Put, your, put yourself in the mindset of the people who wrote them and then, and, and then try and contend with them there. And and that's when you can start actually having something qualified. But I've just been kind of you know listening to these like atheist destroys, <laughs> you know, priest guy or something like that on YouTube, right? So it was just like, oh, yeah, what a bunch of idiots, all those Christians. Mm. But, but when I started looking at it seriously, that, that got me down to like, okay, well, maybe I should sit down and start taking the Bible just a little bit more seriously. And then I was lucky to meet some
0: good people. That is, ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth, brother? Like I was never... I was never really into the like atheist destroys Christians thing because I, I, I've always been, uh, I I would say I've I've always been a man of faith, but I was in the new age world. It Mm -hmm. was like ABC, anything but Christianity. Like Christianity is the one thing. All the world religions are right, except for Christianity. That's that there's nothing, ignore that. There's nothing in there or Christ consciousness, which I never really got into. I never really bought that anyway. But like, it's, it's kind of phenomenal where it's like you start, you begin exploring the things as a man that you're told to never explore. Never explore your masculine power. Never explore Christianity. Don't ever do either of those things. They're bad, They're bad scary, wrong. And then you start exploring them and it's like, wait a minute, everything I've been looking for was here all along, but, um, but maybe I wasn't necessarily ready for it. Because I'll tell you, Paul, like you're telling your story of be, you being uh, boyish and, and irresponsible, and I don't see that man in you at all. And you and I have spent you know, many, a lot of time talking you know, on podcasts and and personally, and like to hear that as part of your story, like I can't picture that version of you, which is a real testament to me of of how far you must have traveled because normally, you know, you know, guys will share their past or something like that. And you get a sense like, oh, I can see that story. I don't, I don't see that in you at all, which is, which is pretty incredible testament to the, um, to the. I I jumped
2: onto the belief that you can be with multiple women at the same time and it, and there's no consequences to that. That's, uh, that, like, you know, love is about setting people free. That was the thing that I jumped on. So I,
0: I, I knew no I wanted marriage to create.
2: Thing. Well, no, this was after my marriage ended. No, no, yeah. no. So no one, I, one, the, no the one wonder what Jordan
0: Peterson said about marriage was so impactful because you yeah. believe that love was setting people yeah. free. And when Jordan Peterson says no, you're like, you're enslaving yourself in a way, the other way. Yeah,
2: yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah so... So yeah yeah it's it's, it's, it'''s it's an idea that's very tempting for a lot of people, and especially you know or in, in some of these environments, then like people live it in our whole society. you know, I just read Brave New World again recently it's up here somewhere. Um, and Grim. It's amazing. Yeah. like I I was just like, what? like this is, this is exactly what we're living. This is what we've created. Yeah. Like you know we're, people still talk a lot about George Orwell and, and uh, but but like but Atlas Huxley he, he hit it. like he really got it right. That's what we're
0: doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or I think uh, I think of we're living kind of in this intersection between Brave New World, uh, 19, 1984, and Fahrenheit four fifty one. Like if you read those three books, it's a pretty like we're the Venn diagram overlap of those three things. And I I think Aldous Huxley was given the playbook because Aldous Huxley, by the way, he also wrote a book called The Perennial Philosophy, and it was all about how all it's the syncretic kind of thing that all these world religions are all pointing to the one true religion. They're all different ways up the mountain that I did believe that I did believe that that there was a point in time where, Oh, all these different religions are different paths to God. Um, and, but Christianity, like, you know, that's, that's the one for dumb people maybe, or something like that. Not that it was false, but like Aldous Huxley also wrote that book. So, um, so yeah, I think he kind of, um, he was he either had his finger on the pulse of the way things were going, or he was given the playbook. Let's put it that way.
5: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, I think he was given a playbook, yeah. <laughs> I don't know exactly what you mean by that. But, uh, now we're talking. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, one of the things I've been, that, what, what that leads me towards is, uh, um, so, I've been following with Jonathan for show, yeah. and Jonathan talks a lot about, like, spiritual entities. Mm. Um, so, like, the the, uh, the the principalities and powers, the world of principalities and yeah. powers, and, and how, like, we, we tend to kind of, like, Woo woo angels and demons and turn it into like the things we've seen in movies and mm-hmm. things like that, but actually these are very concrete, very easy to understand terms. Um, if you kind of look at it through a uh, the lens of the way that pe- the people who wrote the Bible mm-hmm. understood it as well, which is actually far more nuanced than than what what we realize. We think like oh they were just stupid and they believed like Thor was up there making thunder by banging things together or something. It's <laughs> like no, that's not what people thought. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to try and repeat any of Jonathan's ideas or arguments. Although he has a great video called why Santa Claus exists because of course, Santa Claus exists. Like, I've no seen Santa, him, bro. You, could, you know, like, <laughs> exactly. And, and like, you can write a letter to Santa Claus and you can, you know, like visit Santa Claus in the supermarket. And it's not like Joe sitting there because the person who speaks, speaks for Santa Claus, mm-hmm. like, you know, and everybody recognizes Santa Claus when he speaks because, that's what Santa Claus. He does the kind of things that Santa Claus does, and says the kind of things that Santa Claus says. So, so of course, Santa Claus exists, and and he influences the world, and and he's it's a very big thing. You know, he comes from an Orthodox saint, uh, Saint Nicholas, of course, right? But, but, but like it, it, that's what our Western Christianity thing, and maybe that'll lead us a little bit towards what we're talking about like the superficiality of you know, well, American culture has, of course, become world culture because we, you know, here in Denmark, we just swallow everything that comes through Hollywood. And I want to give you some nuance for that, but
0: yes, I'll give you some nuance for that, but go ahead.
2: The, yeah, some of, some of the, you know, I mean, our gods and goddesses are the stars. You know, we call them stars, right? The yes. Hollywood stars, yes. they're, they're the stars. Like this is what Oof. angels and gods are. They're stars, yes. right? So it's like, these are the exact words that the ancients also used to talk about these things. Um, and, and so that's what we have as our stars now. It's, it's, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oof whatever
0: the name Well, so this this ties into a bunch of different things in my in my podcast a couple of weeks ago with Annalise from Feminine Not Feminist. We talked about the C.S. Lewis um, Space Trilogy or the C.S. Lewis Ransom Trilogy. And uh, the point of that mm-hmm. series, I'm reading a book about it called uh, Deeper Heaven by um, this young girl named uh, Christiana Hale. She's part of uh, Doug Wilson's uh, Doug Wilson's schools in, up in Moscow, Idaho. And so she wrote this book, uh, which just a reader's guide to the Ransom Trilogy. And where it kind of explains why this series of books is so strange, you know, why it would seem like what's going on here, and what she writes about is mm-hmm. it's an attempt to um, uh, the the books, the Ransom trilogy, is an attempt to uh, re instantiate the medieval cosmology, the medieval Christian mm-hmm. cosmology. How do they view yeah. the cosmos versus before the Copernican revolution, and what do we have to learn from yeah. that? And so mm-hmm. what she she's actually talking about right now, um, and and what Lewis was talking about ultimately was that, um, the ancients, the the medieval, uh, the medievals, they didn't conceive of stars as these burning hot balls of gas. Like they were literally angels, like these, these planets, they were beings, they were celestial beings. And, And we were at the center of the cosmos, which didn't, which wasn't a privileged point. The center of the cosmos was the lowest point. And as you look up into the heavens, you see the heavens and you see the stars and you see the angels. So when you said, um, when you said that stars were angels, like, yeah, that's, that's what C.S. Lewis was writing about in this, in this uh, trilogy of books. So I'm really glad you, you mentioned that because there is something going on right now with superstars, you know, being held up as these almost like divine beings that for some reason we should care about. Like, well, I don't care. Like, congratulations, you put on makeup and fancy dress and you, uh, you read lines that other people mm-hmm. say and you do, the, you do it really well. But like that doesn't mean that you're someone that I should care about your opinion.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, and and be I mean, leading politics yeah. and you know, taking uh, their, you know, like I mean, American politics is run by like Silicon Valley and Hollywood largely, I would China. say those two main force centers.
0: And who and China. And China Yeah, no. Most Americans <laughs> and the Russian hackers. No, no, course, no, no. Honestly, I mean I mean that eaten. very seriously because um, if you yeah. if you mm-hmm. um, if you look at uh, where the funding comes from so when making a movie there's always the executive mm-hmm. producer so there's the director the producer the director and the executive producer right those are the three main titles the director obviously handles the creative vision of the film the producer handles the producers handle the logistics like getting pe- getting uh, getting crew on board and managing the the production of the whole thing what the executive producer does the executive producer is solely responsible for fundraising. That's what an executive producer on a film does. Where most Hollywood executive producers get their money now is from China. So China has creative control from the monetary level. You don't ever see their names because where does an executive producer get their money from? In the same way where does a venture capitalist get their money from? From investors, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the same way. So executive producers in Hollywood are getting a lot of their money through Chinese investment sources and you can find some of these like Alibaba Pictures has done like films with Matt Damon and they made some changes to Top Gun Maverick for some of the patches on his jacket. That was a whole thing. So China has a significant hand in, in a lot of American movies being produced from the financial level. Not that it's like Russian hackers and the same kind of like, it's yeah. like actual money flows.
2: Yeah. My son just started gymnasium and, and he, he's like really wants to study Chinese. Mm. And I, I had a conversation with him about that because like I'm really trying to understand like, You know, the way I see it is like a large part of our, our society is set up around the idea of consumption Mm. Uh, and what's fueling that consumption. Well, it's like selling people stuff they don't need by, you know, making them into like, like everything, the most important things in the world are all physical material objects. Uh, so getting as much physical material objects as we possibly can is the most important thing to Mm. do. Uh, and, and how do we do that? We get like an endless supply of, of Chinese (laughs) laborers who are willing to work in really, really bad Mm -hmm. factories, uh, for very, very cheap prices. Of course, it's not. It's also Bangladeshians, and who knows what else—Mexico, Mexico, else, uh, Mexico well. and um, India.
0: Yeah,
2: but yeah, there's over a billion of them in China, of course, and and so we're we're just like you know, it's a system that's been set up, and 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 this is the system as well that I think you know, the, the war in Ukraine is about this system actually, because that system wants to expand and wants to take in new territories. You know, it's not like there's like you know, like this is a conscious idea, but I really think this, this individualist consumer society is a very imperialist type of civilization mm-hmm. and I, I think that's what's got the russians scared to a certain extent as well I, russians are also influenced by consumerism right. i think but there's something also else happening there um but but i i, I and and so so it's like you know for me like i want to stay as far away from that system as i can especially feeding the roots of it i'm i'm a vic- I'm, I'm not a victim of it i'm a you know i'm a part of it i casualty of war i feed it every day and i Buy I, need, I want a better mouse. I got to get a better mouse, or I I need like you know some nice writing pens or something. I can't just write with like my old pencil. There are nice pens, right? So I'm always buying, buying, buying more and more, and more stuff as well. But but then I think like you know it's like you can become more and more entrenched in that system as well. And that's what I did in my corporate life. I worked for Microsoft for eight years, mm-hmm. and I just saw how that like it sucked my soul, mm-hmm. it sucked the life, sucked the life out of my soul.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, yeah, you earlier one of the things I also wanted to say was that um, you said it was American culture and 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 What I think people are seeing around the world, and this isn't necessarily clear, and so I don't fault people for not not saying this, is we're actually witnessing, and we're probably several decades in, to the birth of some other culture. That culture ate America first. So it ate America first, and then it put on the skin of America, and then went marching around the world like, look, we're America. And so now everyone thinks of America in the United States as that corporate consumerist culture. The thing is, is I've discovered that's not American culture at all. We're actually fighting to get back to our original American values as a culture, which are long gone. And that's, that's a, a political movement that's getting you know slandered it is violence and all this stuff. No, America is a country with its own unique culture. Yeah, it's not thousands of years old. America is young as a country, but it has a very rich and fully developed <clears throat> concept of itself. But it got eaten by this thing probably sometime in the 1950s is when the United States began to be devoured, Um, when everything was great, right? No one's paying attention. And then it started walking around the world and it parades around wearing America as a skin suit. And we're actually trying to get back to some vision of what it means to be America, what it means to be Americans in concert with the rest of the world. Um, And I don't think most Americans who believe in that unique American culture want to have anything to do with dominating the world. Like we just want our own country back. And so it's really difficult to have that discussion because I can completely understand how for many people born in in various places around the world, Europe, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, doesn't matter, Africa, who cares, um, to, to say like they've only known one kind of the United States that they've never been able to really see. But if you come fly to the United States and you go to certain places, particularly around the Midwest, you'll see it. But you wouldn't see it if you only watch TV. You'd only know, you know, Team America, World Police, if you watch TV and movies, which is completely appropriate.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so one of the ideas I've been thinking a lot about is is kind of this distinction between old world and new world, and mm. and what I see is like in in the new world, things move a lot faster. Mm-hmm. There's not so much rootedness, um, and so so people can very easily get pulled, like blown around in all kinds of different directions, and. And you know, there's been a systematic work being done now by the postmodernists to destroy any kind of rootedness that was there already, mm. even the ones that just went back a couple of hundred years. Um, and so, and, and this this hit my life as well, right? Mm. And, and and I came from the new world. I moved to the old world, um, and and so now I'm, I'm living now in a tiny little town, 300 people. Uh, wow. There's a local woman here who tells stories uh, of the local area like professionally. Uh, uh, and she's amazing. And there's so much stories just embedded in this local, this, this tiny little town. here. so much history. We have our own little museum where they have like, you know, pictures of the house. The, the house I bought is 360 years old. At least that was the first time it was registered in any kind of common, uh, uh, public, uh, book or anything like that, 360 years. And still the original tree work and framework and everything like that. It's, it's made, it's like a half timbered house. Um, and, um, just yeah the 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 value of kind of connecting down into those roots again <laughs> um mm-hmm. is, is so that's been my response to that is, is is as i've realized like wow there's a flood coming now mm. there's a flood and it's getting much stronger and stronger um and what I see. And so now I, 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 I promised that I would go to a rant and criticize American, Please, fire uh, American away. work and stuff like that. You know, it's like the, a lot, the response for a lot of guys is like, Oh, there's a flood coming. Okay, guys, let's all go to the gym and find some really heavy weights. Then we lift up these weights a lot, as much as we possibly can. And then we'll like <laughs> write to each other and post pictures on ourselves on Facebook. And we'll tell like compete about how much we can bench press. And then we'll be able to like stand against the flood. And it's like, yeah, great uh maybe like that's gonna work but like i don't know it's just it, there's a superficiality mm. to it uh that that that's like ah, you guys like i it's a it's a it's it's a it's it's a solution to the problem in some mm. way because it gives you something to hold on to but it's just it's not a very good solution it's not a very good solution i don't believe it I'm not gonna last
0: i love it i agree i completely agree because i'm i'm look i'm caught up in the same wave right the same wave of of um it's a it we're facing we're facing ultimately a uh, a cultural and spiritual war, right? Where we're in the middle of a cultural and spiritual war, but men are they think they can fight it with material means, right? Yeah. Right. So it's like, oh, if I if I just get super ripped and get a lot of and get a lot of bullets and and get emergency food and uh and I've got my I've got my night vision and I go <laughs> into woods with my guys, like sorted. I mean, yeah, okay, right? No, look, look, firearms, yeah, we were talking about this, firearms fetishism, firearms idolatry. Look, there's nothing wrong with these mm-hmm. things. This is an American thing. There's nothing wrong with firearms, but you can't, you can't make your AR-15 your savior. I'm sorry. <laughs> and guys don't want to hear yeah. that, though, because it's challenging their notions. It's challenging their notions of power.
2: Well, they won't even admit that it is they're making their savior, right? They'll find some way of rationalizing yeah. it or, or putting it. in. It's like, it's like, if if the thing you like get most excited about uh, in your week is going out and shooting your gun, then like, you know, that is, that's that's become your religion. Mm-hmm. You know, religion is, it comes from Latin religa, that's which we gather around. So if all your friends are gathering around shooting guns or going to jujitsu or, you know, earning a lot of money, that's your religion. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, go to church on Sundays occasionally and call yourself a Christian. But like if that's not what you're excited about, then you know, then that's not that that's not what your religion is. I'm sorry. But like, you know, and if it's a veganism, then then veganism is your religion. If it's climate change you're scared of, then you have an apocalyptic mm-hmm. death religion, you know? Like these are the religions that people have these days. And then, you know, they, you know, in, in Europe we've given up being Christians completely. So we've just totally surrendered mm-hmm. to these other new religions as well. America's kind of play the dance, like, oh yeah, we're Christians, but we're also like, you know. We we're don't we're really don't really care. Like we mainly go to church to like network and connect with other people and and whatever, right? A lot of
0: that. There's a lot of that. Yeah, and and I was listening just before we started this uh, this podcast and and we got online. I was listening to a talk by um, this um ap- ap- apologist, Christian apologist, theologian. His name is Joe Boot, and uh, he's a British Canadian, and and he was literally talking about the word uh, cult, culture, and culture, and cultivate, and cult. All of these things are the same. They're from the same uh, the same word root, which is what are we like? What are we cultivated in? What are we What are we being raised? What are we being steeped in? He gave a much more eloquent definition than that, and I'll post a link in the show notes because the talk is brilliant. I love Joe Boots' work, and it's like, what is your culture? What are you being raised in? What are you being steeped in? What are the What are the values? And you know, firearms culture is a thing, and this isn't to pick on firearms or jujitsu or gym culture or whatever. And it's like. We all have different cultures, subcultures. Yeah. We're not trying to take away your guns. <laughs> well, well, there are people trying to take away the guns, but but that's a whole other thing, yeah, right? But it's not me. Right, but it's like, that's a whole thing. It's like, what cultures are you a part of? Yeah. And what are the inherent values of those cultures? And not only what are the inherent values of those cultures, what values are left out of those cultures? Because that's the thing. It's not that the values within a culture are necessarily bad. It's that most materially oriented cultures have values that are excluded. Right, there's, and, the, and it's the stuff that's left out that's truly problematic. That there's no deeper values beyond the material accomplishments. Like money is not a bad thing, but if in the pursuit of money, the pursuit of money is the only value at all costs, there's some pretty important things left out. And guys don't like asking these questions because it forces them to acknowledge their weaknesses.
2: Well, it doesn't even. I mean, you you can say like it's not. It doesn't have to be the only value, right? But if, if it's the full, if it's the highest value, right? You know, if it, if it's just the central thing and you know, then you say, well, we have to be ethical and stuff like that. But, you know, if it's a thing that you just, the most valuable resource you have is your attention. Mm -hmm. And if your attention, you know, of most of your waking hours of the day is going towards earning money, then, you know, that's forming your mind. It's wiring your nervous system to be orientating your life, your energy, your creative powers towards money. Mm -hmm. That's what it's doing. And, And you need to do that as a, especially as a young man, to a certain extent, but you need to realize that there are things that far supersede money. You know, there's love, there's beauty, there's truth. Those are three things I think, which even if you don't believe in God, you can believe in those mm-hmm. three things. And, and, and if you don't have those, then, then you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, get lost at some point. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get lost because it's so easy to cut corners to.
0: I know. I, I absolutely agree. And I think too many people around the world now, not just in America and not just in Europe, they grow up with um, money or some material pursuit as the highest value. And yes, they, they maybe they're taught to go about it ethically, but they're not taught to go about it in a godly way. And going about something in an ethical way and going about something in a godly way are two very, very different things. And, and that's that speaks to a lot of the heart of our uh, religiosity that's been excised, at least from Western culture, right? In the notion of, um, the notion of, well, what is, what is this life for? Is it, is it for the pursuit of material pleasures? Is it for the creation of cultural products? And I don't disagree with a lot of guys in the men's movement who think we need to be producing culture. I think they're right. I think they just don't go far enough, right? It's like these things all flow from a central source. And are you willing to tap into that central source? And, and you know, I'm, I'm very, I feel very thankful that there are more and more men, and I do mean men, willing to ask that question within the men's movement itself, because I think it's very vital um, and, and it needs to be led by men. I think women are doing it too, of course, but um, men seem, un, they seem a bit more stubborn about the whole process maybe. And maybe you can speak to some of that in the work that you do.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, so I, I think attention is absolutely central. Uh, I think storytelling and art in general is, is, is vital to get people's mm-hmm. attention again. Um, and then we've made a decision just in this last month in manifesto, um, that every single guy who's a member in manifesto needs to have a daily contemplative practice. Uh, and so, so we want every single guy. And and so this is just like doing the basic work of training your attention Mm. to become the master of it again, because we have the, the smartest, most brilliant people in the world, psychologists, engineers, uh, marketing people, they are working day and night to create the tools that we're using every single day to take our attention away from mm. us and to enslave it. Uh, and you can talk to anyone it works in marketing, you know, how do they do this? Well, they appeal to your, your base desires, you know, yep. like you basically take the seven deadly sins or whatever it is, like, you know, the, 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 the fleshly, uh, needs and, and and they're getting even more and more blatant with mm-hmm. it because people love it uh and and so and it works that's the thing is it's it's working incredibly well uh, and and so so there's a war going on for your attention uh, and and i think that if you want to have any chance in that war every single day you need to be doing some kind of daily contemplative practice uh, and that includes i mean for me for most of these guys you know we're we're explicitly not a christian organization and I think for most men, journaling, I journal every single morning. Mm. Um, uh, and, 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 and I think that that's, that's probably a really good place to start is, is some kind of journaling practice mm. uh, to, to train your mind to focus on what is actually important in your life, in the world for you. Where are you going? What do you want to do? And maintaining that over a period of time instead of just being pulled from side to side to side a lot of
0: guys. Right? Let's talk about journaling. Cause I get, I get ads on my Instagram and stuff for journals all the time. And I know a lot of men, I don't personally journal. Um, I, I I will mm-hmm. take, I will make notes about my life in the evenings when significant things happening. And I in, in my storage closet, I have books full of journals that I've just like made notes of my life, just historical touch points, but I've never made mm-hmm. journaling a daily practice. Let's talk about that for a minute. Like mm-hmm. what, per, like, how do you go about doing it? You know, what, what sort of, um, what sort mm-hmm. of, do you have a philosophy of journaling? Is there a style? Because it's not something that I know very mm-hmm. much about. Besides, like today, this and this happened, and I felt this about this. But I, I don't think that that's what you're talking mm-hmm. about.
2: Yeah. Well, my my core practice is, is prayer. I'll just mention. I'll put that in yeah. first, just in case someone was wondering. So, like, I, I pray before I journal, <laughs> and that's important for me, and that makes a difference. Um, but 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 then I'd say it's a pragmatic approach. I don't have a philosophy okay. to it. It, I, I, it started with. Uh, some, some guru, like business guru, startup, uh, <laughs> guy who had like a, a a daily journal with a whole lot of questions in it that you answered every single day. Uh, and so I, 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 uh, someone recommended this. And so I, I bought his book and then I, I started answering these questions. And then what I realized is that like, Oh, I, these aren't exactly the right questions for me. me. And so I started changing some of the questions. And that's developed. In the beginning, I used to journal morning and evening. And I did that for quite a long mm. time, probably for about two and a half years. Wow. Now I just journal in the mornings. Um, but the way I do it is is so I, I have it's it's all those books there. those are the the last or yeah, these
3: mm-hmm. ones,
2: sorry, these ones, yeah, those are the last journals mm-hmm. that I've I've completed. But the way I do it is I have these questions I answer every single morning.
0: That's all I'm, I'm um, see what 12 I questions. Or something? There,
2: and then I, I do my writing in here. <laughs> Uh, I also have weekly meetings with my wife where we also write uh, write minutes from all of our all of our meetings. <coughs> and then once a week, I do a weekly review, which is these questions over here. So
0: I see maybe, and am I counting something like 10, 15 questions, something like that?
2: Yeah, daily, there are 11 questions. Uh, and then and, and one of them is not really a question. One of them is a thing I have to do. And then the weekly one is a little bit longer. Um, there's... There's eight, but a whole lot of sub points to it as well. So, some of them I'll just skip sometimes as well. Um, you know, like, I work, not every question I'll answer every single time. Um, but, but, yeah, and most of them I'll, you know, often I'll write like sometimes, some days I'll write just like, like five, six, seven lines or something like that. Sometimes I'll write three pages. Mm. Very, very different. The first question I have for myself is just like free journaling, write what's on your mind. <laughs> um, the second one is reflections on the book that you read yesterday. Mm. If I didn't read a book, then I don't write anything, right? But uh, good. I found like I sometimes just read books, but I never actually implement anything. And so it's good to like the next day be like, well, what's stuck from that book? And how can I be actually implement it in my life instead of just like moving on uh, from you know, to the next mm-hmm. book again? But making sure I actually integrate. So yeah. And then I, I work with like, you know, having setting priorities for every single day. I know what I need to do every day to make it a success. Mm.
0: And those are, those are the natures of the questions that this is brilliant, by the way. This is very. This is very helpful because I know sometimes I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants for the day and everything's great, but I, I always know that, and I'm always thinking and turning things, ideas over in my head. And, you know, it's, it's, um, that's always an ongoing kind of thing. And I don't subject myself to any mainstream media, anything like it's always my whole day as a con and especially cause I live alone. So it's like, I'm in a contemplative practice mm-hmm. all day, but, um, there's definitely a need for a higher level of organization, especially when you're married and when you have kids and and all of that stuff as well. So I'm, I appreciate the insight yeah. in, into that. What are some of the other, if you don't mind me asking, what are some of the other questions that you ask yourself?
2: I mean, I can give you the daily questions. I've actually made a video on this practice on my YouTube oh. channel. Um, so, so people can go and find it something about like a daily journaling practice. Uh, so, but I actually don't tell the questions. Okay. Uh, I, I'm happy to share these oh. questions if people want to have yeah, them. Yeah, please. Um, So I I can, I can give them all, but so I I have the first one is, is free journaling. Next, next one is reflections of the book I read yesterday. Then what am I grateful for or wins from yesterday? So stuff that I succeeded with, or just grateful for. Then the next question is, did I complete my most important thing yesterday? Why, or why not? Then I write out what are the most important things of the week. And if I already know what the most important things today, I also write it there, but I I write in the beginning, in the weekly review, I'm going to say like, what do I need to do this week? Right. Then I plan my full day, as in, like, I write down on a piece of paper all of my appointments for that day. So I know exactly the things that I need to do at different times that day. I, I write down very quickly, right? Like, I'll write like John three o'clock and Peter, da, 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 whatever, mm. right? Uh, then I write, and, and this is a, this question I don't always write, but I say one thing I can get excited about today is, and then a situation that could trip me up today could be, and the best way for me to deal with that is dot, dot, dot. Um, then the next question is, what is a good opportunity to recharge energy and connect with? It used to actually be my wife. I had that as my wife. Now I just have it like a, another person today. So it's dot, dot, dot. Most of the time it's my wife, but it could sure. be someone else that I write down. Um, make sure I make a meaningful connection with, with somebody. Uh, and then the last thing I do is, what is the one thing that I can do today that makes everything else easier or unnecessary? Which comes from a book called The One Thing, it's a great book to read. Hmm. Uh, and then the last the last one is to update my habit tracking so i have i have daily habits that i, I and journaling is one of them I okay uh, right now i i need to run 300 kilometers in the quarter in this quarter so that's what i'm tracking at the moment uh,
0: have how, how far <laughs> how far into that
2: are you i i just hit 250 kilometers. okay yesterday. got it so it's not like
0: you it's like you, yeah. you have to run yeah. 350 kilometers like today i'm right behind <laughs> no,
2: yeah, it's, it's, it's in a three month period, okay. right? Okay. So it's
0: uh, <clears throat> okay. So three three kilometers a day, which is like what, like a mile and a half, two out two miles, something like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I, and I, I started much lower. I've been building it up. Got
0: it. Okay. So so the journaling is um, it's like a it's like a self organizational mental productivity product. I don't like the word productivity. It's cheap, but. Um, but it's sort of like a, it's a mental organizational tool as you, as you begin. You know what it's
2: doing? It's, it's bringing, it's bringing my ideas about myself and often my fantasies about myself into alignment with reality. Ah. Because when I don't write things down, it's easier to have all kinds of ideas that I'm going to be doing what I'm doing and where I want to get to. But six months later, I'm probably going to be doing something slightly different. And so by writing it down, I'm creating a, a funnel for myself that I kind of need to follow and remind myself about what it is I'm actually doing. And I actually get to see, do I, I give myself goals and I set a, a time frame for doing that? And, and then when I started doing it, I found that I, you know, this is and this is the experience of all the guys who come onto Manifesto Core, is that they have high, highly unrealistic expectations to themselves. So they set themselves way too high goals in way too many areas and they try to change their entire life, mm. everything at the same time, and then they fail. Mm-hmm. And then they give up. Mm because it's too hard to get up again. And it's too hard to see in the face, in the face that like your ideas about yourself and your I- ideas about reality are pure fantasy. And actually you're a very different place to where you think you are. Mm. Very, very painful thing to realize, but the journaling thing slowly but surely <laughs> forces you to see reality because it's keeping you on a path. Got it.
0: Men, I'll cut right to it. There's probably something missing from your life, and I bet you don't even know, and that is a mission or purpose. A mission is more than a job, a career, or even a vocation or hobby. It's bigger than that. It's a godly pursuit that underlies all your most significant thoughts, words, and actions. If you seek to lead your family and your household, your purpose is the direction you're leading yourself in, and therefore your family undertakes the journey with you. Your purpose takes you beyond yourself, challenges you to expand your self-concept, confront your fears, acquire new skills, forge durable bonds of friendship and brotherhood, and, most importantly, helps you contribute to the rebuilding of civilization. If that sounds too good to be true, it isn't. Because your purpose is a gift. But here's the catch. To receive that gift, you must be ready for it. And that is the nature of my coaching. I'm a man who has been blessed with a purpose, and it's more than just this podcast. I've got something I'm working on behind the scenes that I know you're going to love and pursuing that purpose has taught me the secrets of what it takes to cultivate purpose. Now I want to pass it on to you and to do that we have work to do. Email me at info at to start the conversation and schedule a free 30 minute consultation. Mention the code word purpose and I'll offer 10% off a 12 week package. I'll also let you in on my top secret purpose behind the scenes so you can see that I know what I'm talking about. Once again, email me at info at and mention the code PURPOSE to get 10% off a 12-week package. I started the Renaissance of Men to help men become the best versions of themselves through self-knowledge. If that sounds like you or the version of yourself you want to be, email me and let's get started. Well, let's let's talk about this because this is, um, this is getting into some of the men's inner work that I wanted to talk to you about. It's like we build up, so we talked about um, the obsession that many men have with their outer achievements, status, muscles, what, whatever, they, whatever they measure themselves by materially. But now we're sort of thinking a little differently or talking differently about men have these internal visions of themselves that don't align with their external reality because they're not accountable or the, I mean, the word that came to mind was originally integrity. And for a lot of guys, including for me coming into integrity and myself in my own life was like one of the most painful and transformative things I've ever had to do.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's
2: (laughs) one thing you can say is that like, you know, sometimes when people say, oh, wait, since you've been doing all of this stuff, you must be becoming a much better person, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and, and my answer was like, no, I'm actually mainly just realizing how terrible a person yeah. I am. Like that's that's the, how how difficult it is to actually do what I say and say what I'm going to do and to stick yeah. to it. It's really really difficult. We 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 lie to ourselves all the time. It doesn't help as well that <laughs> our lives are lived through these things. You know, we're like we're fixated on screens, so we're living in a in a virtual fantasy world most of the time. Half of the population you know, wants to like, move off there and leave like, physical reality, which is a, a massive delusion, if you ask me. Uh, it's not going to be very good when people start doing that properly. It's already not very good when people are doing, uh, doing it properly. Do you- There's plenty of people who have like, moved into the metaverse, oh, and oh, okay. based, like, see that as, as a more important part of the life than, than, than base reality. And, and, and so, so we're just living in a fantasy world, and, and it's fueled by constant entertainment. It's just this constant flow of entertainment that like tch, 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 hits your dopamine receptors and whatever it is and makes you feel like, Oh, I'm doing great. It's like, no, you're, you're sucking your soul dry of life. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're really, you know, and this, I'm talking to myself just as much, sure. you know, like this is, this is what I realized and this you know, moving to a tiny little town helped.
0: Total different pace of life change.
5: Yeah. Different pace
2: of life and different level of, Personal connections, a very natural way to live in a in a small community of people who actually want to be with each other and who, who, who share their lives with each other and, and do stuff, build stuff, make stuff uh, together. The whole village right now is working. We have a next weekend, there's a big folk music festival happening uh, just across the road from from me in, in one of the old farms. And, and the whole village is, we were over a hundred people there last weekend helping to like build the stage and put together the stuff and things like that. And it's beautiful, it's amazing. It's a very natural, connected way of being together as humans.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've completely lost, lost touch with that. You know? And, I, and I've, yeah,
2: None of us are getting paid to do it. We're all doing
0: it. Yeah, I mean, you're not getting paid in money, right? But the spiritual rewards, let's say, the cultural rewards, the, the community rewards, and that's, that's the thing, is, is that we lack an ability to measure things if we can't quantify it. That's part of the scientism kind of world that we're living in. It's like, well you know, you're, you're not getting paid. And I I know that you didn't mean it this way, but it's like the rewards, like it's obvious to me, it's evident to me, the, um, the immaterial rewards that you're getting from the process. And if only in, in the binding that it happens for the village, producing this festival together of people being forced to collaborate on something that creates joy for others. You can't quantify that. How can you quantify the trust that you build with your neighbor or the connection that you make with someone who lives on the other side of town? or the memories that you get to share year after year by continuing to do the same thing over and over again in new ways. Like, you can't quantify that. And it, it, this is the superficiality that so many, so many of us are forced into because, you know, our, our large city way of living divides paradoxically divides us from each other, et cetera. And like, uh, well, if I can't measure it, is it real? Like, well, yeah, it's very real.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a really good example of when, when I moved out here, and this is it's two years ago I moved out here, then there's a plan to build a bridge across from the mainland onto this island. And if they build this bridge, uh, then it'll be a shortcut for traffic coming from Germany and going across to Copenhagen and up to Sweden. Um, Mm -hmm. So there'll be probably about 17,000 cars a day traveling across it and going straight through this area where I'm living as well. And when, when I first moved here, I thought, well, okay, I get it that the local people don't want that bridge because it's going to change the nature and change the environment. But surely the sum total of benefit will be greater because those cars have to go somewhere and it's going to be more efficient. It's going to save all of the petrol from all of the extra driving and reduce carbon emissions and uh, be more efficient for a lot of people, save a lot of people a lot of time. So why does some small little community in the South of Denmark get to decide why everybody else should spend a whole extra half an hour driving a mm-hmm. longer way around. That was my thought when I moved here. And I mentioned it to some of my, the, the people who lived in the town. And they reacted quite angrily to me. Um, and and I didn't really get that. But I really... So so now, if, you, if someone asks me, like, what I think about that bridge, I'm like, screw that bridge! <laughs> like, I had a not wrong, why to bridge at this place. and And it's become, you know, what I've realized, it's just like this... This mindset that we have is just so fixated on efficiency, growth, you know, kind of like, just like get to your destination yeah. as fast as possible and do it as efficiently as possible as like, that's not actually what creates happiness in yeah. life. Human happiness is some completely other things. And and it will totally transform this place if, if this bridge is built, and it's not even sure that the people driving through they will become more happy. They will just get to you know they they or or, more, or have more meaningful lives or anything, right. right? Maybe what they need is is actually you know like uh, it's like we're, we've come to really appreciate that we're quite far away from Copenhagen. And if they built this motorway, then you know everything's just going to become more. The, this this culture, it's a, there's a it you know you can see the influence of a big city being close by as kind of like just a, a kind of cultural sociological thing, but. It, it, it's much easier just to see it as you spoke about like a, a, a thing that had like eaten American culture. And, and you know, like, a, you know, you kind of, what I saw was like, you know, this, this like monstrous thing that, you know, is devouring. Yeah. And, and so that's what consumption, it's 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 in the word there. it's about devouring and it never gets satisfied. It just wants to devour more and more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And to do that it has to be more and more and more efficient. Everything has to be more and more and more efficient. And we need to stop thinking in this way if we're actually going to recover ourselves and our souls.
0: I agree. I agree. It's, and it's, it's part of us. It's part of us now. I can speak for, I can speak for Americans and say, you know, efficiency, growth, expansion, expansion is part of who we are as, as people now. And I don't think it was always that way because there's this, um, there's this word called household and which was, uh, center of economic production, you and your wife and your kids all live and work together on the farm or you have a trade or something like that. And it's all run out of the home and your expectations for for your life are, are quite simple and quite modest. And this was the American frontier kind of lifestyle. Uh, but then you have the industrial revolution where, you know, a bunch of people's labor can be put together to produce something even greater. And then, you know, you're taken out of the home and you, we begin losing touch with each other and losing touch with everything. And then the factory mindset is about efficiency and, and all that stuff. And that happened in the United States and it happened in Europe as well. And it kind of took over and um, it sort of metastasized in the 1980s, especially. Um, in fact, there was there's a very famous speech. This is why Jimmy Carter, who was the president from 1976 to 1980, he, he gave a speech called the crisis of confidence. And a lot of people said, this is why he wasn't reelected. Because in the crisis of confidence speech, he actually asked, um, this was after there was a bunch of stuff going on in Iran as well. He said, like, are we as Americans going to continue being Americans or are we going to outsource everything to, to China and become a cheap consumer culture? And he asked this, like in a presidential address, like on national television, like stop everything, we're going to have a presidential address. And obviously he lost wow. the election and Ronald Reagan became president. And then we had the eighties, right? So America made a choice in the, in the 19, in the 1980s about this. And so as you speak about the sufficiency, I agree with you. Like, I don't want to, like, I, as soon as you started telling the story, they're talking about building this bridge and, you know, and it's all these cars going to go through is like, I think I see where he's going with this. Cause a lot of Americans are beginning to, beginning to ask the same question. Like, <coughs> I don't want a high efficiency way of life anymore. I want to slow down and have a values-based way of life, or even a godly life. And how are we going to get back to that as a culture, and you know, as a world culture? Let's say I don't actually, I don't actually know, but it's sufficient that men are beginning to ask these questions because I think they're all related: masculinity, Christianity, values, you know, et cetera. Changing lifestyles, moving to uh, to more rural settings, slowing down—all these questions I think are very related.
5: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, the root of the problem, what I what I see it really is that man has abandoned his priestly responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't even know what that means, most mm-hmm. guys. They have they have no idea. There's a pod my favorite podcast in the world is it's called Lord of Spirits. There's uh two guys who dig into the roots in every single episode of some kind of issue, really, really far back. One of them actually reads Sumerian, which is very first written language, uh, the very first civilization that you write down, he can he can write read. Their, that's cool. They're writing <clears throat> an Akkadian as well. All these little clay tablets that we have from this is like four thousand years before Christ, I think seven thousand years. Wild. Um, and um, so they even have so the Epic of Gilgamesh is the oldest story. I actually have it right yeah, up there. It's beautiful. Um, th- that's the oldest story that we have in existence. It, there's a flood story in there as well, very similar to to the biblical mm-hmm. flood story in the Epic
0: of Humbaba. It's also
2: a man's story. For a meaning in mm-hmm. life. Humbaba, but,
0: the great demon, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know it. Yeah. yeah, great. Um so so the point is that like the yeah, Lord of Spirits podcast, they they make it much better than I can, but 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 like you know this has been m- man's primary responsibility as the mediator between the macrocosm and the m- microcosm mm-hmm. which is you know man himself and and to to be able to bring things together without you know in love and truth and beauty mm-hmm. <laughs> and and this is what the what the priestly role has been and and it's been it, it's totally been trashed and and so there's been a, a devaluation of the sacred uh, uh, or total disconnection from the sacred in, in, in life and i think that's that's the way i see it there's the path that we need to 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 tread to to bring these things back but i mean it's it's nothing to you can figure out on a podcast (laughs) so i don't know how we could even start talking about these things right
0: well i think we can i think uh, as you're saying that you know i think back to world war ii like the founding myth Mm -hmm. of the united states right now is world war ii we don't go much further back than that actually like yes we have our revolutionary war but a lot of people don't know the details about that and You know, but freely, like America in its current version was born in World War II. And it's a little bit like, and I don't, it's a little bit, it looks like from this side of the Atlantic, like everything that we know about Europe died in World War II. Like you want to talk about the transition from the old world to the new world? Like it happened, that happened at the end of World War II. And it was, it was, it was, um, which was a big mess. And, and, but it was also this transition, I think, across two different ways of living. I think it was also the, the transition from godliness to efficiency, because I think the case that um, the elites probably made and that the media made following World War II is like, look at all the atrocities of World War II, look at all the death of World War I, look at the atomic bomb and environmental devastation, like the old guard has failed and now there's a now we have to do it, like God is dead, right? That's when they just kind of declared for everyone, by the way, World War II, God is now dead, we killed him, now we're going to live this efficiency this efficiency kind of driven world. And uh, that hasn't worked out. That hasn't worked out so great. But, you know, we're talking about the difference in old world and new world, America versus Europe, you know, a godly way of living versus an efficiency way of living. Like, I really think like the the World War II, the 1950s and the 1960s, that whole 20-year period was when that shift really happened between like 1945 and 1965, probably.
2: Yeah. I think I think you're right. I, well, that was when America became the center of the world. And that is the American identity, if anything, right? It's like America is the only part that really counts, right? That's why, you know, like, um, at least that, that's, that's the perspective that's that we have here seems. in Europe is that is that Americans, like, don't have passports. You know, every European has a passport, but, like, I think some like 14% of Americans have but passports. But I can explain that. You call the World Series of Baseball is just American teams, even though it's called the World <laughs> Series. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, sure. It's like there's well, this Canada, kind of, like... <laughs> Canada, <laughs> or oh, they get to play as yeah, well. Yeah, a
0: couple. Well, sometimes they'll show up in the playoffs. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's something really interesting there about the, the way I, I listened to a documentary recently about the end of World War One and like Woodrow Wilson's kind of you know grand dreams of peace yeah. and how he had this like you know highly idealistic vision and you know that ended up with the Treaty of mm-hmm. Versailles, which was just basically like you know the winners like crashing. <sighs> The losers and, and him him being like probably the main cause of how tab badly that yeah. went, right? And so it goes back to me for this idea of like the disconnection between the head and the body. Uh, because for me, he was a man who was just and and this was, you know, he was he was a sickly, poor, weak man mm-hmm. who lived it up in the world of ideas, but felt and and there's, you know, letters and documents about how he felt jealous about like his, you know, political opponents who are far more embodied mm. Uh, mm. and strong bodied than than he was, right? And, and so That's this this weird thing. It's like we're stuck up in our heads, but we're obsessed with bodies. You know, sexuality, bodies, or just like physical, material bodies of things that we can own or whatever it is.
5: Um,
0: Mm.
2: Such a such an interesting thing. Dig
0: further into that because that's that's we're stuck in our heads and obsessed with our bodies. I I want to hear more. I want to hear you expound on that.
2: Do you want to hear my grand theory of the history of the church on that? Yes, go. (laughs) Okay, I'll I'll try give it. So so the way I see it is.
5: um, basically the
2: Christian church was, was one whole church. Uh, and then in 1054, the great schism happened. This was the breaking of the Orthodox and the Catholics. Uh, the Orthodox, uh, had like a conciliar understanding of what the church was. So there was many different patriarchs and they were all equal and to make any decisions, they all had to be agreed. So there was a kind of like, the only head was Christ, <laughs> uh, and, and, and they were just the body. The Catholics, on the other hand, as you well know, they had a pope, right? So, so they there was an excessive focus of attention and energy and power in the head, mm. which was a man, and it was, so it was a fallible head that they then created, and, and not so, fallible of them, so, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, so then, so then, so then, what happened is the West kind of like focused this power in the head, and that meant that it could create a very powerful vision that was very attractive and and could drive forward a lot of development. So the West was able to drive forward, had this strength and power, but it also became tyrannical Mm. because too much power was invested out there. And so what happened? Well, then we got to the Protestant Reformation in in the 16th century, where then the body rejects the head and explodes into many different fragments, but still maintains an excessive, the the same fundamental kind of imbalance of, of, head overweight or something like that um yeah that 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 in short that's the first time i've tried to explain that publicly no that's great
0: i i love that because i think it 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 explains a lot of things that um a lot of men are going through like it's that's that's what we're talking about is that you know we 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 were talking about this floods coming right and so um so we consume all this news through our screens right and even taking it at face value. Oh, disaster's coming. Doomsday. Pick your, pick your poison or aliens coming Is the, you know, grid down, economic collapse, whatever. And so we're stuck in our heads, processing all this information. So what's our response to that? Our response is we have to fortify our bodies, you know, get the, get the beef, get the bullets, Mm -hmm. get the, you know, get the muscles and all this stuff. And like, all those things are fine for what they are, but it's not an embodied, it's not an embodied experience of like, you know, uh, it's a superficial response. To um, to a very serious spiritual question, and it's not an embodied. Well, what if I fought back this war with virtue, right? And it's a, it's the same manifestation, of the same thing that shows up in another context.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's something about like bringing yourself into alignment with yourself, which mm. is almost like a mystical mm-hmm. thing. Uh, I don't think I don't think it can be done in a in a rational a straightforward way and so you know in in manifesto because we're not explicitly christian i just got, tell guys like you know whatever it is look at what you're standing on as in like your foundational beliefs about reality and yourself whatever they are and dig deeper mm. dig deeper in whatever it is i've i've written this article called uh, the finding your ur father <laughs> and and so and and so the idea is is like you know if if you call yourself a marxist you know like Go and study Marx. Right. Read his poetry. Read about his life descriptions. Read about his funeral. You know, like read. You know, if you mm. if you're if you're a Darwinist, then like go. You know, really go and look at the roots of where of the things where you come from. Where does it come from? So it's it's about reconnecting to the father at a metaphysical level. You know, and like you know, I think it'll lead you pretty much either to you know Athens, <laughs> Socrates, and uh, and and then Plato and Aristotle, or it'll lead you to you know the Abrahamic religions uh, stories of genesis basically I, I think that's where that's where our civilization comes from you know I, and some people have like, like oh screw the civilization i'm gonna i'm gonna live in the civilization enjoy its benefits but i'm gonna become a buddhist or i'm gonna become a hindu or mm-hmm. something like that right Or i'm just gonna be like a new age whatever and these people um i'm quite patient with them <laughs> i think but now i'm gonna say it on your podcast Go. uh is that i'm probably way too patient with them because they're they're seriously deluded, you know. Like it's like it's such a it's a stupid, stupid idea to think that you can like just take in the practices of a religion that's foreign and exotic, and then just bring it into your everyday Western civilization context. You know, like oh, I'm a I'm a, a, a ayahuasca shaman from <laughs> Peru now mm. that I can like you know because I did forty days of fasting down in Peru and took a whole lot of psychedelics and. You know, flipped out completely, and now now I understand the mysteries of the universe. Like, no, no, that is a total delusion. It's a it's a very dangerous thing, and and you know, I see people who have died because of these kinds of mm. delusions. I had a I had a guy who was a good friend who jumped off his balcony <sighs> on
4: these psychedelics um, because he who knows what Yeah, jumped off his balcony. I'm very sorry to hear that.
2: Yeah. And, and more and more. So it's like, you know, this is why I'm also like, I've been kind of like, you know, manifesto came from these areas, you know, we started a burning man, you know, that's full of psychedelics. Um, But it's like, you know, I'm more and more, you know, so this wasn't the first death in our Mm. network. And there was another guy who I've been like repeatedly saying like, Hey, there's something wrong here. We need to be aware of this guy. There's something you need to be aware of. And everyone's like, no, 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 Everything's great. No, there's no problem whatsoever. And then, and and then another suicide. So it's like, you know, that the, it's just so clear, like these things just, you can't just do this. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't just adopt whatever it is. Um, and then think, you know, we are a part of a civilization on you know, just the, everything, but Christianity thing, mm-hmm. like it's just going to leave you confused and lost and rootless. Mm-hmm. And you're going to know it deep down in your heart somewhere. There's always going to be a feeling of discomfort and you're going to, it's some kind of strange compensation Getting back at your dad thing, or something like that. I'm I'm being very judgmental. No,
0: um, I will go there with you.
2: But like, a a lot of these guys have dad issues. They're gonna have dad Mm -hmm. issues. That's you know, they they haven't found peace with their dad. That's why they can't find peace with the father figures of their own civilization. Mm -hmm. They can't. They can't take those steps back because it's because they're normally angry with their
0: biological. Yes, and many of them have.
2: And it's probably not the only every case. And
0: many of them have reason to be. You know that's that's part of it is is um and and we can dig into that but I just I did want to say thank you for saying all that because I I agree fully and I've I've come from that world and and um and I I love what you just said about finding your er father you know like if you're if you're into Marx read Marx if you're into Darwin read Darwin if you're into Nietzsche read Nietzsche understand who these men were you know how far back is that is that going to take you
2: what was their inspiration
0: yeah. But, for, but, but,
2: but, yeah.
0: And, and, and I think a, a lot of men, though, they're not they're that's not the direction. They're looking for their mother, right? And that's Eastern mysticism. Eastern mysticism, the entire point of that whole world, and New Age is entirely based on Eastern mysticism. Eastern mysticism says that you do not exist and that your free will is an illusion and you have to undo the illusion of your own free will. The knot has to untie itself. And so, and if you're still here, you haven't tried hard enough. So keep trying harder and harder to undo yourself. And the trick is you can't. The mind cannot untie its own knot. And there's this promise, this mystical promise of enlightenment, nirvana, the extinguishing of the flame. If you meditate hard enough, you will realize your own non-existence and you will merge back into the Godhead and you will cease existing. But no one's actually met an enlightened person. You've never actually.
4: Well,
2: it's it's I mean, what they're talking about is just like physical and spiritual death, basically. It's, yes. It's it's, it's the it, it it's it's death. So it's a it's a religion worshipping death. Uh, and, yes. And that's that that's where it's going to lead.
0: That's where it leads. <laughs> you
2: know, that, that's what it is. As it, it, you look look at all, all those qualities that they describe, and then what death is, it's like oh, it's the same thing.
0: Yes. Yeah. They conceive of it as um it is it's a, it's functionally the same thing, but the way that they frame it is like non-existence, right? Like you, you die, but rather than dying in body, you just see, you just evaporate into the cosmos in your own unique-
2: You get reabsorbed into the ocean. Yeah. The drop in the ocean is kind of like the, the, the thing that it is, yes. right? And so, so the, the definition of love that I really like, and that's which I think is at the heart, not just of Christianity, but the heart of Western civilization, love is, is the kind of ordering principle that comes from above, that includes every part of the multiplicity Without destroying any of its uniqueness mm. that makes it fit perfectly into the whole so it's able to retain every single part of of what makes it personal and unique and, and valuable um, it remains it even becomes far more itself <laughs> um, it, before it was not even itself it's through love that it can be integrated into the whole and become more of itself and and and, and that's something that's alien to these Eastern traditions as well it's like no no no, they just believe in. It's it's tyranny, basically, what? Because it's it's the the principle that comes from above. It erases all of your personality. You become like nothing. You become one with everything. You be, you know you cease to exist. It's, that's tyranny. That's the definition of trinity. Tyranny is like says, Everybody needs to do what I say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's like that. It's a tyrannical idea. It's 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 opposite of love.
0: It's self, It's and it's ultimately self-negating. That's the entire thrust of the whole thing. Like not only, and this is where the new age. Like, you could probably make the case that in its pure essence, Hinduism and Buddhism as self-negating religions aren't necessarily harmful in their intent. We, that's a whole, like, well, let's just stipulate that for now for the point that I'm
2: getting. I think, I think their intent is positive, And I think they've probably helped a lot of right. people. Um, I think without them, people would be even more lost. You know, like, you need to have a religion. Religion is what binds people together. And so without religion, you know, so I, I think... You know, they're they're better than nothing.
0: Right, right. So, but but the, yes, and, and but in their pure state, in Hinduism and Buddhism, their pure state in uh, in India or Japan or China or whatever. But where the new age mm-hmm. takes all that and makes it so destructive is it takes that act of self-negation and it commoditizes it and commercializes it in terms of books and practices and guru, like the American style guru, and ceremonies and processes and you just dump tons of money into this process of ultimately self-negation and that's what's so destructive about it versus like there are lots of people who identify as a buddhist and they're paying all this money and it's like well, you know you can buddhism is free you can like just sit and meditate you don't have to do a whole whole thing right but so it's this western like new age is this western commoditization commercialization of a lot, a lot of these Eastern mystical principles that people just don't understand. And
2: I get it why people want to do it because because like they're used to paying for stuff. <laughs> Actually, paying a high yeah. price is is how you determine quality. Mm. You know, if something's expensive, it's probably good. So that's why they want to like go to the the most expensive gurus who are taking the most high prices because that's what we've been trained to understand the world. Like you get quality by paying money, and and so so it, I, I I get it. Um, but but yeah, it's it's. It, it's such a destructive path, as you say, because it, by by you you're just reinforcing it. It they go very well together: the individualist consumerism, and you know, then you just become like this zombie. This is why guys like John Ravakey, Jonathan Peugeot talk about zombies all the time, and it, and it's so appropriate for mm-hmm. our culture, and why you have like zombie walks where tens of thousands of people dress up as zombies and walk around the streets as zombies. It's because that's exactly what we're becoming. We're becoming zombies, and 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 the perfect religion for zombies is consumerism, individual consumerism mixed with Eastern mysticism. Mm-hmm. You know that, that's how you do it, uh, because every you just like oh everything is just a, a part of like greater good, and everything happens for a reason, and so you don't have to worry about anything. And if your kids are going high wire and everything is collapsing around you, it's like oh well, great. You know like you uh, know, I mean the Bhagavad Gita. You know, the central story is, is, is like these, this, these guys who are like about to go to war to e- with each other, with their own families and their own, the people that are loved. And they're just told like, well, that's your role. Kill them because you're a warrior. So you should just kill them. Um, and so it's like, well, yeah, I, I mean, I get there's a depth to that as well. And it's not just totally as I'm caricaturing it right mm-hmm. now, right? But like, that is the central lesson of their entire civilization. Um, uh, and and, and it's, it's not the right thing to put in the center. It's not the right thing to put mm-hmm. in the center. There's, there's, there are higher truths than you have a specific role at a specific time. You need to do a specific action. Of course, there can be truth.
0: So, okay. So, I have a bunch of different directions I want to go. I love this feeling. And the direction I'm going to go is okay. So, you're talking about manifesto, which is um, an explicitly non-Christian organization. Totally, totally get that. And as a, as the sort of the men's inner work world, which which you and I both come from. Has absorbed and is really, in some ways, born out of a lot of these like uh, sort of new age Jungian at least kind of archetypes, which are not compatible with um, Christianity fully. Like it's not completely incompatible. Well, it's it, at the f- most fundamental level, it's incompatible with Christianity. How do you square? How do you square these? You know, with men coming into these practices where it's like you have these beliefs that um, that aren't serving you. At the very fundamental, like you know it, so for example, like you, you walk into a men's retreat. Like I couldn't go to a mankind project retreat right now. Like setting aside the, the fact that they may be woke and that whole thing. So let's set that aside. Walking yeah, yeah. into that.
2: <laughs> you might just end up with a pride version oh, of it or something like that these oh, days. <laughs> They're doing so that.
0: So, okay, so, so, whole, so let's set aside that if I were to just wait, like take me, put me back in time about 10 years before the wokeness started to happen in the Mankind Project, it was about 10 mm-hmm. years ago that I went, I would sit mm-hmm. in that environment and I would be like, you're talking about things that I know are fundamentally incompatible with the Christian way of viewing the world, which is the truth. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I don't run that organization, <laughs> right? So, so as you... And and this isn't calling you out for anything. It's just, how do you make it work? Because I recognize that these men, they need the work. And you can't go all in with a Christian worldview on men that are still coming into any amount of reconciliation with parts of themselves that they've disowned. Like, how do you manage that, right? You get what I'm saying, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing is like, so my fundamental work is not to convert guys uh, or even to give them mystical experiences. My fundamental work is to help them to reach their goals. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I, I want them to be able to make a plan and bring their goals in uh, and their ideas about themselves in line with reality. Okay. And so that's what I focus on basically. Cause I found like that's, you know, Christian guys really need that work <laughs> as well. Sometimes more than non-Christian yeah. guys here, here in Denmark. Um, I have a friend who's studying theology and wants to become a priest. Uh, uh, and so he, and he'll tell you like, he has never met a single real man in the Danish church. it's, it's, it's we have a state church in Denmark. It's, it's the most, like politically, you know, it's like a weasel organization. Mm. Sorry to call it that, but uh, it's really—it's not as bad as the Swedish one. but I mean, that's terrible. Um, <laughs> so
0: we may be bad, we're not as bad so, as the Swedes. Are... <laughs> oh yeah, Swedish guys are like. What about the Greeks? A lot de-
2: jokes in Denmark. We talk a jokes about the Swedes. Of course, obviously, who doesn't? Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but so so I mean that's part of the answer. Um, and at the same time, I also say this, like, when you share foundational beliefs with men, you can take them far further than when you don't, or when you have to like do all that basic basic work. it's It's sometimes very tiring, yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: it's very, very tiring, um, because I have to have a lot of patience um, because some guys are really. I mean, the biggest challenge I think I face is men who are chasing extreme experiences in mm. life. Uh, in, in Denmark, we're not, especially. Uh, this is a big difference in old world, new world. Is all here people have not so focused on kind of like uh, earning lots of money, um, and you know, like we don't have as much richness and and kind of like you know the materialist thing as well. So there are other values that pe- people are driven by here, um, but but they'll they'll often be driven just by like experiences. And and, and so that that can lead to like a lot of like sexual dysfunction, Mm. uh, misuse of sexual energy. And it can also lead to um, like partying and drugs and things like that, which like Mm self-sabotage their lives. And so, you know, and and, and it's hard to address those things directly with guys. You know, you can't just always talk to them directly about it. So, so yeah, it it takes, it takes more patience. And sometimes I'm like, why am I doing this? And then, the reason why I'm doing it is because I, I'm a new world person, so I move fast. And so I realized, well, if I move slower and I take my whole organization with me, and I, I have a lot of very, you know, guys I work very closely with who I really appreciate who aren't Christians as well, but they have a lot of other value because the way I see it is like, you said like, okay, well, obviously Christian has the truth and a lot of these guys they're at the deepest level disagree. But I actually see most of the guys I'm working with, even if they call themselves, you know, whatever else, in reality, they grew up in a Christian culture.
3: Mm-hmm. And yeah. most
2: of their fundamental beliefs about reality are based on Christian values. Like they don't really have Buddhist values. They think they do. Sure. they don't really have, you know, whatever it is. So so actually that actually there's I, I focus on what we agree on. And it's often just gets much bigger by, by me doing mm-hmm. that. Uh, and when I speak the truth to them in a way that is, you know, like fits things together for them, then they they understand the truth and then they follow the truth, right? Because the truth will set free. And so, so Christianity, you know, this is the way Christianity, I've just read a a letter written by Justin Martyr, who was an early Christian martyr in, in the 150th, 150 AD. He wrote a letter to the Roman emperor. Um, and, and there he kind of, ex, he explains how the patterns of paganism are exactly the same patterns that are found in Christianity. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, you know, like Odin, he didn't refer to Odin. I can't remember the exact examples he used, uh, but like Odin also hung on a tree mm-hmm. uh, for three days and and lost his eye and then received sight. and, and So th- there's there's similar patterns in all of these things. And some people use these to like disprove Christianity, but like, you know, the way the early Christians understood this is like, no, 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 this, this is just like, you know, this is real. This stuff is real. It's not, it's not made yeah. up. Like these patterns are fundamental parts of reality and God is active in all of, of the world right and then you know just some of the you know some of the gods that were telling you to like sacrifice your friends to them were probably
0: more demons mm-hmm. than
2: gods as well and that's basically the case that justin Martyr was making to the roman empire he got he got killed uh he martyr
0: <laughs> he earned his last name <laughs>
2: martyr yeah, is a really yeah, he, unfortunate he last name brave guy though i'll tell yeah. you that really brave
0: guy yeah. yeah and that's and and it's funny because um i was in a, a group chat with a bunch of guys who were talking about, you know, paganism and and they were like, uh, you know, maybe it would have gone a lot better if uh if you know Christianity hadn't come in and and told all these pagan <laughs> cultures that uh, you know, and and slayed their their serpent killing God. I'm like, Oh, like let me get my bible cuz I'm pretty sure we've got one of those serpent killing gods. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's like it's it's a re-
2: yeah. yeah, Leviathan is mentioned in the bible as But well, I mean that's yeah. the
0: whole thing like God, like Satan is the serpent. Like that's what God's doing slaying the serpent, right? So it's like it's a recapitulation of all these fundamental themes of reality. It's almost like these mythologies have a share of common grace because they're all looking at the same reality. Maybe they're not interpreting it correctly or maybe they don't have all the pieces of it. You know, because there is
2: they have far less low resolution, some of them even you know twisted sometimes pictures of the truth but there there i I believe that all of these have been attempts to move towards truth, you know that they've all been attempts to to realize a good life, and then we just are often misguided, and we still are misguided. you know if we think we're doing better today, then you know our forefathers were probably even more <laughs> likely misguided mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. well then so th- so then this leads th- this road can lead to one of two different def- destinations you can have the Perennial philosophy, Aldous Huxley route, where it's like you know all these—they're all different pieces of the truth, right? Like that we have to syncretize all of them into one larger truth versus they're all um, uh, they're they're all uh, pieces of Christianity in like scattered around the world, right? Because that's two different modes. Like we have to synthesize all these and find their Venn diagram overlapping to establish some neck some some larger religion that we all then get to participate in. That that's the perennial philosophy versus. All these world religions have pieces of Christianity in them. And those, those are those two different paths. And I think a lot of people have a lot of trouble with the idea that, you know, are we really going to go to China and India and be like, Christ is the way. And I can speak to that, by the way. Um, but, you know, it, it almost seems incompatible with, with the, we might say, the Eastern mind that, that we impose the Western way of being onto them. Right or our Christian way of being? Maybe well, Western is not the Christianity,
2: way. the fastest growing religion in China. Yeah, it's a whole, it's, like it's a, a whole thing. That it, even though it's like severely oppressed by yeah. the states, like it's it's exploding there, right? So, so I, I really think that I mean Christianity is incredibly plastic. It's very, very plastic and very adaptable, and it fits in to all of the world mythologies. So, Jonathan Peersho and Richard Rowland are busy doing a series called Universal History. I don't they've done like ten episodes so far, but they're just basically piecing together universal history of the world, how everything fits together, and it's all centered around Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so everything ties into this. And there is a story that brings together all the people of the world. And that story is centered around Christ. So so the problem with Atlas Huxley's idea is that you imagine that you can stand nowhere and then and then and then construct a belief mm-hmm. system. Uh, but the, the fact is you have to be standing within somewhere to construct that belief system. And so, so, so you, you can't, where you're standing will determine what you see. And so, so if, so what we believe is that if you're standing within Christianity, you see the truth, you see reality the way it is. Um, and you can't, you can't say, well, I'm going to stand outside of all of the belief systems and then I'm going to tell you the way reality is because then, then you're just standing in a belief system, which is called postmodernism, modernism or nominalism, or something like that, or just like, you know, probably more likely consumer mm-hmm. individualism is the, is the, the your, your kind of cosmology or, or Satanism. Right? And you or just don't know whatever it. <laughs> it is, or you just have no idea Which I mean, that's the most dangerous. You don't know if you think you're neutral, that means that you've just been captured by the culture. That means the cult the culture has you. And so whatever it is, the Holly, you know, like I just, have you noticed how many people when they, when they want to have some wisdom, they quote Hollywood movies and often the bad ones, like. Really bad, like tropical thunder is what I got quoted to me a I'm like, I'm like, it's like, never go full retard. <laughs> it's like, the, uh,
0: <laughs> I really hope someone um, isn't quoting it as wisdom. <laughs> this is my wisdom literature. That,
2: that, 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 it's amazing how people, yeah, like, oh yeah, did you see that? that? That made me think of when that guy said Like, that's, we have no idea what wisdom means anymore, but it is the stars that give us wisdom always, right? The stars.
4: Where's Sophia? Those, yeah. who's, who's Sophia? Um, Sophia is the Greek word yeah. for wisdom.
5: Yeah,
0: yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah it's, no, You know that
0: this this sort of non this sort of non way of being uh, it makes me think of an anecdote that I I think I heard in a YouTube video. Um, um, <laughs> you now this is from another Christian apologist because that's basically all I listen to all day is like Christian yep. apologetics. And so um, uh, okay. so this pastor was saying God and an atheist get together and they try to make man, and so God. Takes dirt, shapes it in the in the in, in the shape of a man, and uh, breathes life into him. Voila! There's a man. And then the atheist takes all the dirt and runs a bunch of chemical reactions, and runs an electric charge into it, and creates some sort of like some sort of homunculus kind of version of a man. And then God goes, No, no, no! You have to get your own dirt.
4: <laughs>
5: right? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's really A lot in the culture at the moment right now is this thing of transhumanism, Mm.
2: where where I think we're we're trying to yeah I mean I mean there's a transhumanist manifesto I read it it's super scary it's really really Mm. scary but these people they believe that like you know human life is to be transcended and so what I kind of detect in it is this kind of like hygienic disgust at the messiness of humanness and 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 then and then also fear of death is is obviously even further down It's it's a fundamental fear of dying. And So it's an attempt to make themselves immortal, and thereby become god. Um, and you know, I read Ian M. Banks, who is a fantastic mm-hmm. science fiction author, when I grew up, and he has these minds, which are like these, you know, often in ships that has a mind and are like you know, ultra, 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 super advanced
5: AIs. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's such a, it's such
2: a tempting story. And you know, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it, I have no idea what's happening with AI right now, but. It's definitely we're creating like a God. trying. I mean no, we have created a God. The internet is a, is the God already, right? Uh, for most people. You, you can't even have a conversation anymore without bringing Google into the conversation because I've not, if you try and notice this, try and have a conversation with people with and you're not allowed to look at your phone at any time during the conversation. It's really, really difficult mm. because people want to take out their phones and, and look stuff up anytime there's like you know anything that's just a little bit uncertain. If I feel unsafe about something and I get an answer from Google, then I know what the truth is. And, and what I've just found is I, I've, so I've made agreements with my family and people that are close to me that we're not allowed to look up stuff on our phones and ask Google when we don't know something and the richness and the depth of conversations that we've had based on that. has been Amazing. It's been
5: amazing. Cause we haven't, we haven't this fetishized God's
2: all knowledge machine. That's telling us all the answers.
0: Mm-hmm. It makes me think about what you're saying about the woman in your, in your small town who tells stories. Like maybe, you know, maybe conversation, we conceptualize conversation now as uh, sharing information, whereas maybe there's a way to think of conversation as the sharing of stories. And the dialogue doesn't take place through things that are necessarily like factual in some objective, quote unquote, scientific sense. But we share deeper truths through stories, which can't be captured in facts.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I'm still trying to learn about storytelling don't know if i
3: have
5: I, I i think i i think that i think that the story
2: of christ does max out all the mm-hmm. categories of, of, of story I, I think just understanding that better and how it's kind of resonated in all kinds of different settings and patterns everywhere i, I think that's that's a really powerful you know i i regularly hear someone saying like oh yeah i heard like this non-Christian guy or Jordan Peterson or whatever talking about the Bible. And I've never ever experienced Christianity that way. It was just like mind blowing the way it was. And at, at, at a gathering I had at a men's group circle recently, I, I kind of told a little story about the way I saw like the cosmic story of Christianity, you know, not as like Jesus Christ came to mm-hmm. save your sins, but bit more like um, how there was this cosmic battle throughout all time <laughs> and, and how that was like a victory of trampling death mm-hmm. by death is is the terms that the orthodox use um and 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 the guys were just i, sh- I spoke for like three minutes and the like, is like this group of guys are just like staring at me like wow mm-hmm. like wow like i've never ever ever heard of christianity in that way before they were totally blown away by it and so it's like we've just kind of got used to that we think we know the christian story we think we understand it and therefore we kind of turn off but when you actually and this is why men's groups are great is like you start listening to stuff that people are sharing uh, even though you think you know it already. And, and what happens is we get our minds blown because we actually know very, very little.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: don't even know what we don't know. This was what Socrates said, right? He, he, he was wise because he, he knew what
0: he didn't know. He knew the extent to what he didn't know, which was everything, right? I know nothing, right? Which means I don't know. Yeah. And, and the telling of, it's, it's funny because a, a friend of mine just went on a men's retreat um, not at all, not at all like the kind of inner work that we're talking about, but uh, for veterans and, and first responders. And he was telling me about it. And just the amount of um, storytelling that takes place that men are actually like, the amount of the, like that men are forced into a position of having to tell their story when most men don't actually, they've never met, they've, maybe they've never really thought about it. They've never conceived of their lives. And this is unusual to me because this is not how I think. Because I think of my life in, in mm-hmm. terms of a, of a story. like I can trace the narrative of it because I made that choice years ago to think of my life in terms of story. But it's, it's baffling mm-hmm. to me that some men, they don't think of their own lives in terms of story. They don't think of um, their family's lives or their, their friends or their wives or even human history in terms of a story. And then it, it sort of strikes me that I, just thinking about this right now, that we live inside a bunch of different stories. That we're not, that we don't know how to question, and that we're not allowed to question. You know, like you talked about transhumanism. Like transhumanism is a story that are, and the story is we've started in these gross biological kind of machines that are limited and decay and die, and it's just that's that's the cocoon that human that humanity or some section of humanity is going to be born out of into pure consciousness in the machine. That's the transhumanist story, right? Or the or the or the um, the social justice story, which is that we've come from patriarchal white Western oppression, and we're all and this is a transition phase into you know more quote unquote democratic kind of rule where you know we put down the white man forever or whatever. But there's also there's also the non story, which is the efficiency story. Like I'm just here to get better at what I do and in, and in the moment and, and, and I will have achieved some apotheosis if I can maximize the efficiency in my day. That's also a story. It's a non-story. And then there's the Christian mm-hmm. story, right? Which, which, is, um, which I, I would like to hear you articulate actually, because I think there's all the different ways of looking at it, but I like the, um, I like the idea and I, <laughs> my friend Cameron, I'll see if I can dig it up. He's got, I, oh, I'm going to send it to you too. It's a meme of, uh, of these knights fighting in this like round table, kind of like Renaissance fair. <laughs> and, and these two knights are fighting and one knight is hitting the other knight. Um, and it says Christ. And that's the knight that's standing up and he's holding a chair, <laughs> a folding chair, you know, proper Renaissance fair that says death. And the other knight on the ground that he's about to hit with the chair is death. This is a great meme. I'm going to send it oh. to you. You love memes.
2: Yeah, I I hate memes. <laughs> like like I hate that all. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah,
0: go and, You're gonna get so many memes. It's not. Oh. It's not even. Yeah.
2: I almost hate them as much as I hate getting long voice messages that have no information in it, but just someone bumbling confusion. Oh,
0: yeah. Sorry. So I'm definitely going to send you both. <laughs> no, the... <laughs> yeah. Well, so no, so the Christian um, story is the one is the one that I think is is um is coming into being through the hearts of men and women. But it's sort of being, gosh, is it being reborn? And this is, this is the fun joke that I kick around. Like, Nietzsche said God is dead, but the God he happened to be talking about died and rose after three days. Right? So is, is there, I think there's a rising going on now of this Christian story being born, reborn under the earth. I don't know what the right word is, but that story, I think, has a lot of compelling... Aspects to it for things that men are searching for.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I I definitely saw like you know there's there's someone who like had a graffiti, God is dead, Nietzsche, and then underneath someone else wrote Nietzsche is dead, right. God. Um, <laughs> so it's like it's like yeah, I mean God dies to people who who, who want to kill him, but but he's alive mm-hmm. for me. Uh, and it's 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 the most incredibly obvious thing yeah. in the world for me that that of course there is a God, uh, and I have you know i'm a very very scientific very logical very rational human being um and all the new age stuff was like always like woo <laughs> but 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 this stuff is but like so so the original christians were accused of atheism actually um because because christianity so in, in that letter actually st justin martyr wrote to the roman emperor that's where he refuted this idea that we're not atheists but everybody called them atheists as well because Christianity, you know, it, 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 it's such a founded base religion in reality. Mm. Uh, and, and, and it's very clear. There's just like, it just reality happens to be quite a much more beautiful and and mysterious than what it is. You know, science is starting to find out how incredibly mysterious reality is. You know, when you start looking at quantum and, you know, it's just like, fate, what we just find is like the seething chaos of particles and waves and who knows what, right? So it's like, Science is starting to grouse this, but so, science, but Christians always understood that this is the nature of reality. And, and so what the core of reality is story. That's what it is. Reality is, is we don't, there's nothing outside a story. Like we can't make sense of anything. There's no meaning outside of story to make any sense whatsoever of anything. You have to tell a story about it. Otherwise you don't know what to focus on. You don't know where to put your attention. Mm. And so, and so. You know that the story of christianity is is the meaning of heaven and earth in, in a very deep and fundamental way is that is that you know the the heaven is is that which comes from above it's 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 the information it's it's the blueprint and and the earth is is the chaos of of potential uh, and and those things meeting is you know the the core mystery of civilization is how they meet at the cross mm-hmm. right so so you know the my understanding of the of story of christ is is uh, that you know christ is is the highest of the high and the, and the lowest of the low that brought together. <laughs> um, and, and that it, 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 it is that, you know, that principle that it is, it is a principle of love that, that unites everything. And, um, and, and, and it, it's, um, it's also like a cosmic war <laughs> that that's, that's waged, uh, for, for all time, which, and, and, and the war is, is really, if you want to, can't criticize it in our lives then it's it's us fighting against ourselves mm. so so God created us in his likeness and image um, but he gave us free will and so there's a part of us that is drawn towards death and destruction and it's a very very powerful and strong part of us and then there's another part of us that is that has drawn towards God to become one with him you know so and 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 so this is what theosis is theosis is the process of becoming one with God and 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 that's it Beautiful and amazing thing that I don't. I think I've wasted way too much of my life to ever make any significant progress with. Um, but but I I, I think that um, yeah we the things that we focus our time and attention on will you know a lot of us either draw us downwards or, or will, will help us will, will be lifted and and the path towards it is often the opposite of what we think it is. There's it's an aspect of humility that's needed right, to be able to step onto that path. The entrance to the kingdom of heaven is, is through repentance. Mm. That's where I I get to grow and learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a good a good place to do it is in a marriage. Uh, that's what I found. Uh, there are there's two main paths. You can I believe that there's a, a path of of the monk uh, uh, who dedicates his life fully to dedicated to only seeking God's 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 will mm-hmm. in his life, uh, giving up his own will completely and all possessions. And then I, I think the other one that that really works is is mm-hmm. marriage. Uh, And I think that there's something about joining your life with a woman uh, and, and then learning to love her, really love her
5: uh, and giving your life for her that will redeem your soul.
0: Mm. There's a book um, that someone gave me. I've got it around here somewhere. It's like Gary Thomas and it's called sacred marriage. Oh, um, uh, and uh, Kenny gave it to me. And, um, and it was a really, it's a, it's a really precious gift that um, I, I, I really resonate um, with. I don't even like that I use that term just now, but that I, that I really connected with one of the messages of the book um, is that um, what if marriage wasn't designed to make us happy, but to make us holy, right? And and it's, um, it's a question that's very uncomfortably asked because I grew up, you know, in a um, in a culture and in a climate where marriage was a death sentence, right? And that's that. Was, I mean, especially living in San Francisco, you know, um, marriage is the death of all your Peter Pan dreams, right? Um, and it's the yeah. death of
3: yeah.
2: yeah, It is a death yeah. sentence. Yeah, I have something. I have an interesting story to tell about that. Go. Mm. Cool. Um, so, so the Orthodox, the Orthodox marriage service, you wear a martyr's crown. So you literally—it's literally, it's literally a, a death ritual where you die, uh, as baptism is also. But this is a martyr. So martyr is a witness, uh, and so it's—it's it's a willing choice you take to die, in order to for something new to be born. So the the center of the Western marriage ceremony is is the exchanging of the vows. You say I do. Uh, so and, and that's why it's 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 a legal thing. It's seen as a legal state state organized institutionalized agreement that two people enter into so that you can kind of control the household to be a, an efficient unit. But the original Christian marriage was a, a martyr. Uh, and, that, and so we, we, were, we put on crowns as martyrs. Um, and so you, you die. What, what, that, that's the whole focus of the ritual. And there's no point where you say you do in the marriage ceremony, actually. You say it when you get betrothed. Um, but in the, in, in the marriage, you, you're bound together with a rope around your wrists. And then they put a martyr's crown on your head. And then some, you know, something new is born mm. after that, and it, and it, of course it's born after that, but it also continues to be born over a long period of time, more and more as you grow together.
0: This is both the, the husband that, that blew my mind it's when I heard. It's blowing it. my mind right now. This is something that the that the husband and wife both do where the martyr's crown or just the husband.
4: That's but, beautiful. That's beautiful. Really,
2: something special. I, and I'm, I'm wondering, like, why did we stop doing that? I, why did we stop
0: there? I mean I mean probably for probably for many reasons, one of which I would imagine has to do with people's actual fear of death. Right? Like and this is this is like the strange thing. Like we live in this culture of death that is at the same time terrified of death, right? Like the, like it,
2: And rejects it and lives it if it's not it's not happening. I wonder to get away from it.
0: So okay, so one of the things you've said many things in this in this conversation that blow my mind. You wanna say is we live in the head and we're, and we're obsessed with the body. So I wonder if that parallels, I think it probably does, where we, the body dies and we live, in, we live in the head. And so we have this culture of death and we, yet we're afraid of death. If you unify the head, the abstract ideal to the body, which, is, which dies, then there's a death that happens in that. And then you get more comfortable with death. And as you get more comfortable with death, you can participate in death and you can live a fuller life.
2: Yeah, and, and and the fundamental pattern is very easily seen through the sowing of a seed. Mm. And so, you know, the seed falls into the ground, it dies, and then it brings forth much fruit. So this is the, the pattern of death, burial, and resurrection is is a fundamental pattern in reality and, and 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 for all life as well. So something to bring forth life, something needs to mm. die. And, and by dying, it it it's able to rise again. And so this is this is how you know Christ willingly gave himself over to be killed by the strongest uh, empire that had ever existed and thereby mm. uh, conquered mm-hmm. it. <laughs> it took 350 years or so, uh, but he actually conquered it by dying, by being killed by it. So w- we thought that death was the final uh, defeat, but mm-hmm. actually it, it's actually the victory. <laughs> death is mm-hmm. the victory. So, so if, if Christianity is going to really have a revival, well, that's the one question you asked. I believe there need there will be mm-hmm. martyrs, and in some ways there are martyrs now already. Like we're seeing, not not proper full martyrdom, but but we're seeing something, you know, like lynch mobs and and kind of a lot of public hate often being put at people who will take up Christian perspectives, uh, and and especially so. There's there's a small amount of them. I just read there's a guy called Saint Paisios who was a very recent saint living in Greece, uh, who who said. Uh, something that really inspired me he said if you if you feel joy at the contempt of other people because of your love for christ mm. that you could suffer for christ then you have a small idea of what martyrdom is mm. about and i got to say that's far beyond me that's that's beyond my spiritual <laughs> abilities i i hate being you know ridiculed mm. publicly I, I can't stand it it's very very difficult
5: for me to handle that mm. so but I think I think we need a
2: lot of strength and we need a lot of strong fellowship as men if we're gonna stand in the times that are coming now, because it's it's a strong, strong wave that's rushing running across the culture right now. And a lot of stuff like it's like there is a kind of re enchantment that's happening to reality in many ways, and all kinds of weird and wonderful stuff are coming out now, you know, in the conspiracy theories, but just like, you know, lots of weird stuff is coming out. So I, I think I think that we're, we're going to have to really stand strong as men together and there's going to be a testing and, 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 so I'm really understanding like this idea of like building brothers uh, that I know and that I trust and that I can also be in hard. You know, when we do our gatherings and manifesto, we, we make life really uncomfortable for these guys. We really mm. test them hard. And then we see some guys who just like break down and start complaining mm. and, and can't handle any pressure. And then we see most of the guys they love it. Mm. They love it. They love being pressed. And that's because they feel that something's wrong. And so, that, and, and so this, you know, this death brings you back into contact with reality, right? Death is the ultimate reality for most of us. That's when we'll face ourselves. That's where we'll face everything that we've ever done. And so pain is a little taste of death. And so, when we're able to go through pain together with a group of brothers and discomfort with a group of brothers, we're experiencing a little bit of that, and and, and we experience like that's actually that's the source of life. <laughs> that's the that's the story that Christ presented to us, right? It's like death, death is is it brings forth much fruit.
0: Mm. So, can you share some of the ways you put men through this? I know that some some of these practices are um, secret, and I do mean secret, not necessarily private, and that some aren't, but I mean. It's a thing. Like, how do you? This is this is this is what I say about initiation. I don't know if you run an initiation, but this is what I what I took.
2: It's, we it's, we call it initiation. It's a leadership. Good. That's okay. What we so do.
0: leadership. Initiative. So my whole thing with initiation is it has to be something that you can fail at, right? Because in the in the old classic style of initiation, men would take boys into the forest or the desert, and they would be put through a series of trials, and and survival meant that you're a man. Like it was literally life and death. Right, we're gonna we're gonna bury you up to your head, and the ants are gonna come, and you're either gonna survive through the night or not. What are they like? um, uh, Barbaric by contemporary standards, but that was needed to ensure survival. Like you have to control yourself as a man and get through this because that's what men do, right? Okay, so nowadays you can't put men into an initiation where they're probably going to die. No one's gonna sign up for that, right? But you have to you have to put them into a scenario that they can fail at. You can't carry them across the finish line. So like. So th- that shows yeah. up for you.
4: Yeah. 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 So, I mean,
2: I think that the most truth way of saying this, and, and I mean, I don't, So <laughs> the, the question for me is more like, should I tell them that they failed or not? Mm. Uh, because lots of men fail. So I, I would say two men have passed my initiation so far out of the hundreds, like hundreds and hundreds that have taken it. Two men wow. have passed. Um, uh, and and I, I, they kind of know it that they really got it. Okay. Um, and that and that they actually did the right thing. Um, but all the other guys failed.
5: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Do they know they failed? Uh,
2: they or they they only took a partial step at least. So I didn't tell them mm-hmm. that they failed though. That's that's that, that's the only thing. So I'm probably I'm probably cutting corners there. Maybe I need to. I mean, I mean, it's kind of a good thing to put out there then and say like, hey guys, come to my initiation trade my my leadership initiation. Only two people have ever passed it. Um, you know I men have had massively transformational and very, very insightful, you know, or powerful insights through, through, through the event. Um, so, but, but yeah, the only two, two ready mm. and and the rest were not ready yet.
0: And that's a good way of framing it. And, and, you know, if it's a leadership initiation, I was explaining this to uh, Issa Ryan on, um, on Instagram. She's rad by the way. Um, it was that not all men are actually called to leadership like as as Christian men we're all called to lead our homes that's non-negotiable so you must lead in that regard but in the wider community of men not all men are actually called to leadership many just want to belong right we have a in America anyway we have this whole judgment around like leader versus follower which is really unfortunate and and alpha versus beta which is also really unfortunate but it like the reality is that um some men really just want to follow a noble leader and don't have it in them to be the leader. And that's okay. And and that's a really, um, at least in the American psyche, that's something that a lot of men really struggle with. Because we all have to be leader, king, alpha of everything. Or if you're not, you're just this weak beta.
2: Well, here here it's it's even worse. Oh. Here here it's like just the word leader triggers a whole lot of people. So it's like they refuse. Everybody's like, no, there's no leader. We just collaborate. Oh. It's like, why? Like. Collaboration cannot work without leadership. Leadership can't work without collaboration. These two things, like, there's no such thing as as no leadership, right? But that's that that that's a, something that's stuck in some people's head. So,
0: so when okay, so so walk me through just really quickly, like when when leadership is called for for European men, like what happens? Because I have my own ideas about what's going on there, but like what's kind of what's kind of happening in that? Like why do men freak out around that?
2: Well, people will people will think it means domination and yeah. tyranny. That's what If there's men involved, if there's women involved, then it's like, yay,
3: yay, leadership, great.
2: But as soon as there's a a man, then there's like a, a, John Ravakian and Jordan Peterson talk a lot about the hermeneutics of suspicion. That's what really drives uh, the response to anything that with leadership involving men. uh, Wow.
0: There's there's the suspicious that that any man taking on any leadership role will become this domineering kind of tyrant instead of having a vision of like healthy leadership.
2: Yeah, it's, the moment you talk about it explicitly, you know, if you, if you pretend it's not leadership, then no one will mind. Uh, and if there's a, if there's a film, a, a film actor involved, uh, then it's great <laughs> or other mainstream, you know, public personalities like television personalities, you know, uh, and especially if it's like a bit of a naughty boy uh, who, who's kind of like a little bit cheeky and, uh, you know kind of sexually provocative or something like that and then then it's then it's all fine but you should never talk about it explicitly like he should preferably distance himself from any kind of you know he should just drop the word toxic masculinity once in a while and stuff like that and talk about patriarchy once in a while and that kind of then 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 leadership is fine um, but, and a lot of the size but like it's it's weird because me too then flip that radically as well right so The richest guy in Denmark some years ago was a guy who made all his money in the travel branch. His name was Simon Spies, and um, he had uh, very, very uh, manipulative sexual Mm -hmm. habits with young lots and lots and lots of young women. Um, But this was very well known in the in the population, uh, and there was, you know, it's, it's documented and. And, and it was just public, part of his personality everything was very colorful and interesting and stuff like that. But now, Me Too, suddenly, just like two weeks ago, then everything is like exploded. And now he's like getting totally, everything about him is just like evil mm. and bad. But, you know, just a month ago, he was, he was fantastic and everybody loved him. So it's, it's weird because the guy died like 20 years ago, right? But now they've suddenly taken it upon themselves to wreck his reputation. Um, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not even alive right. anymore. So. It's weird. Like the guy was a was a dirty sleazebag, mm-hmm. obviously. He's a terrible, terrible sleazebag. Um, but it's, it's it's he was he was he was also a hero in the Danish population. And now it's opposite. It's really strange.
0: And that seems to be the case. That when you have leadership, you know, backwards leadership, like, oh, uh, as long as the guy pretends he's not the leader and can, you know, have some plausible deniability to his leadership. I don't know, I never actually said I was a leader. The guys just follow, but I never actually said they never stepped into that role and that allows behind the scenes to all this toxicity going on all this genuinely destructive behavior because, you know, he's not actually the leader and as not actually the leader, we can't actually hold him to account. So he doesn't actually have to be accountable. It's like, no, you have to, this leadership is this giant, it's this giant wound that exists in Europe very clearly. And it's been there for a while and I know why it was there. And it's that wound is poked weakly. You know, so don't, so that European. We can talk about it. we'll talk about it offline. But so European men don't actually stand up for themselves because they get called a really naughty bad name. And all the and all the boys are like, I don't want to be the naughty bad boy. And here in America, that's they use the same thing here. And all of us are like, yes, deal with it, <laughs> right? And so you know, <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah,
0: that's really, important.
2: yeah. Well, I and I really respect that about and 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 it's just a source of invigoration and inspiration for me that American guys are just like, yes, that's us. we we're, we're yeah. doing it. Um, it's 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 a, it's it's you don't have that same thing and it doesn't work and in, like in, in in the u.s you can still get like you know, there's a there's a masculine like kind of spark in the culture very much so whereas, whereas here it's it's really been like it, it, as soon as it pops up like there's like 10 people waiting to whack yeah. it
5: as
4: hard as they can on yeah. good well I think I'm getting to the end of this one. So uh,
2: how about we bring things out to a close? Let's do uh, it. Well. Thank
0: you. Yeah. I, and yeah. I appreciate that we brought it all the way back around to kind of the things that the old world and the new world have to learn from each other. Because that's my belief is that we have things to teach each other. And neither the new world nor the old world is, is default correct. But they're both teachers of different perspectives. So I'm glad we came back around to that.
2: And I'm really happy that I got to rant a lot on your Dude, show. Dude, I want you to <laughs> let out some stuff that I haven't uh, done before. I want you to rant
0: more, so maybe we'll do a live stream and I'll give you another opportunity because I really appreciated that. I really appreciated that.
2: This was really fun, uh, Will, and, and I, I got a lot of value out of it. So, so
0: Thank, thank you. you, Paul. Where can men go to find out more about you and what you do?
2: Yeah, man, manifesto with PH instead of uh, F, manifesto.com. Um, we're having a, uh, a, a a retreat called the Journey Towards Death uh, this October, and then our main leadership initiation uh, is called the Death of the Patriarchs. That's happening in May next Great. year.
0: sounds awesome. If I can make that maybe out May.
4: Yeah,
2: and I also do uh, some coaching for uh, the space moment as well. If people, if there are people who are who want, I my, my coaching is is either like vision work, helping to get a vision of where you want to go or goal attainment, realizing the vision. And then I'm also doing working with I, I have a system for taking leadership in your own family, in your own home, with your own wife. I've worked through adapting a whole lot of different tools for for doing that myself and about creating a shared vision for you and your partner and then working through a structure to to be able to land it. And it's not about like getting what you want. It's about helping your wife and you and your family as a whole to Live the kind of life that you want to be living.
0: That's beautiful. You have a podcast, also, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's called Manifesto Conversations on Masculinity, and you can find it on YouTube and all the other
0: uh, Spotify. It's great. Well, thank you so much, Paul. This has been great, and I appreciate all your rants.
2: Thanks, Will, and thanks for all the work you're doing, fighting. Do.